Coming to you from high atop our studios in the San Francisco Bay Area, you're listening to Tech Move. This is episode 48. Today's show is all about the 2019 NAB show that happened back in April. We get to talk to the fine folks at Blackmagic Design, Atomus, Ergo Rig, and Zcam, and see what each has to offer at this year's show. I'm Rod Louie, and with me is Keith Moreau. Get ready. It's time for another exciting episode of Tech Move. Let's go! Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Tech Move. I am Rod Louie, and with me, as always, the vivacious and attractive Keith Moreau. Keith, how are you today? I'm good. I'm just uh, refreshing my lipstick here. Very good. Very good. Well, you know what, ladies and gentlemen? First of all, let me apologize to the Tech Move Nation uh, for our absence, it's been a little while since our last episode. I want to say quite possibly 2007, 2008. Keith, would that be accurate? I'm sorry. I kind of blanked out for a second. Can That's, you repeat that? No, I, 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 it was so long ago you had to actually get the calculator out to figure out when our last episode was. I was just saying, oh. Keith, that it's been a little while since our last episode. Oh, yeah. 2000. It was actually earlier this year. Yeah. Okay. Is, well, yeah, no, it's been a while. I, I, I'm, I'm glad that you're covering me up on that. But you know what? <laughs> I will take the hit for it, ladies and gentlemen. I've been under some uh, a tremendous amount of personal duties. One of which uh, I had to move the Rod Louie Tech Move Studios to another city altogether. And no, it's not because I'm evading the law. But it is simply because I I wanted to move uh, to a new, more spacious, more luxurious uh, studio settings. Because you know what, ladies and gentlemen, Tech Move Nation needs Rod Louie at his absolute best. So I want to thank you for your patience on that. Uh, I will be sharing with you in the future some uh, uh, fantastic uh, new things that I incorporated into the new studio, um, but I'll do that uh, at a later time, only because, <laughs> Keith, so much has transpired since our last episode, of which is the special NAB 2019 episode that we're uh, d- recording for today. Mm-hmm. Yes. NAB has been over for probably now months, but it's okay. You know what? Because there's still some things that are very relevant with regards to NAB 2019. So, Keith, we're going to be, you're going to be taking us on a magical mystery tour of NAB 2019. We've got a lot of great interviews that Keith has conducted for us. He has been our man out on the street. And we will be getting to that throughout this particular episode. But because there has been some major news lately, we do want to touch on this during this long intro 
uh, uh, segment that we usually like to do here on Tech Move. And that is a very recently announced new kitchen implement slash computing implement. And that is known as the new Apple product called the Mac Pro. Keith, this thing looks like a cheese grater. It looks like alien eyes. It's, um, although I would imagine at first look at it, you probably were fairly excited because it had, it had to remind you of the Mac pro that you so loved so dearly, uh, from a few years back. Uh, give me an initial response when you just kind of saw some pictures about it. Initial response is, um, looks a little bit like a rolling stand that I might put some like I, when I, you go to the hairdresser yes uh, and there are those uh, like uh, metal chromed metal stands that they put their stuff on correct looks a little bit like that that's a or, that's a very good illustration <laughs> very very good very good um, it looks it looks functional it looks kind of like an updated or or a retro version of the old Mac Pro um, it I guess it doesn't have as many sharp, super sharp handles, which is good because the handles on the uh, original Mac Pros were were pretty sharp, um, and they were they usually weighed about sixty pounds. So you were just you know, in 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 uh, you could possibly cut your fingers while you were actually carrying it. Uh, this one you you won't cut your fingers. It has, has lovely little rounded chrome handles on it, and yes. uh, uh, you know I I I would. I think it'd be safe to say that it, you know, unlike the trash can Mac Pro that you know that we've seen over the last few years, uh, this one is very much like a good old fashioned tower desktop. Would you would you go with me on that one? I think this is a uh, definitely a take on the traditional tower. Yeah, it's. Um, I don't know how they are able to fit so many slots in there uh, and still be functional. And still have a power supply, so they've done some some com- I don't know some good um, miniaturization of of some product uh, components in there, because I don't think it's I don't know what the dimensions are, but I don't think it's any bigger than the old Mac Pro. That I'm talking about the cheese the old cheese grater Mac Pro, not the trash can. Right, the trash can was tiny, but trash um, can just- was tiny. Yeah. Trash can was really, really tiny. Uh, I, I, but this one at least gives that great illusion of being able to maybe fiddle around with it yourself. Yeah. I, think I don't know if can. that's true. I have no idea if that's true or not, though. Well, the thing that's kind of cool about it, it's actually got eight PCI slots, which is which is four more than the previous Cheese Grater Mac Pro. So that, that makes it just just having those eight slots makes it more expandable. So that yeah. part's good. Yeah, um, they have their own modules that use up some of those slots. Um, so <clears throat> they have these. I guess they'd be the equivalent of uh, like two two slot wide, two double slot wide modules. So they kind of take up the equivalent of maybe four slots. But there's two. I think there's a total of four double wide slots in here. Double wide slots are the ones that you put the graphics cards into because they're much wider than a single PCI card. So they're those big, thick ones that are like an inch thick, and you know, like the ones we we're talking about, like the Nvidia's and the and the uh, the ATI's and those. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so so the fact that it has eight slots is pretty cool. 
Um, and then Apple supposedly is coming out some ex with some accelerator modules you can put in that are supposed to be amazing, kind of like super, super graphics cards. Yeah. Um, their own versions of them. And then I think you could just use your own graphics cards if you wanted to. Um, so, yeah, there's there's these <clears throat> Apple MPX modules, they're called. So they're kind of like, they're, they're a PCI-based, and I think they take up, Two two double wide slots, and have you seen the pictures of the the opened chassis? I'm looking at it right now, yeah. and yeah. yeah, I mean the the you could do MPX modules with up to four GPUs. You could do two of these MPX modules with up to four GPUs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're what offering AMD Radeon Pro 580Xs or yes. Radeon Pro Vega 2s yes. or Vega 2 Duos. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> the funny thing is that there's more options to this than the car that I, you know, that I bought. I mean, I, I think <laughs> there are more options for this Mac Pro than anything. I mean, like starting from 8-core up to 28-core. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. uh, you know, my gracious, uh, yeah. uh, you know, the choices, you, you better get the order form correctly. Otherwise, one thing, you're going to goof it all up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And again, there's sweet spots. You know, you can you could pay a lot more and maybe not get that much more performance, depending on what you're doing. Like just in general, a lot of apps don't even really use the multi processors that well. You know, they're more of just about raw uh, clock speed on the board. Yep. So, so you have to kind of decide, you know, do I want to get the high clock speed model and less CPUs or do I need all that pro parallel processing at once, like doing, you know, render farm type stuff. Yeah. But I could see these being sold to render farms. I could see this being a, an amazing, you know, purchase for those guys and professionals like professional corporations or companies that specialize in rendering and high end graphics you know, you slapping in a few of these these Apple proprietary um, modules and then ready to go. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, there's a kind of war, a little bit of a war going on between NVIDIA and Apple right now. And I'm not sure exactly. I don't know all the details of it, but I think that, that um, there was some disagreement they had a little while ago. And then Apple is just very slow to accept NV NVIDIA and they don't include a lot of NVIDIA technology in their stuff their default uh, systems. They're just, they're, they're using AMD now for everything. Yeah. And um, so it would be really great to get, but I think that, I think that NVIDIA has a better bang for the buck, you know, in like the PC world. Right. I think people buy them more, more for performance than they would AMD products. I think they're just a little bit behind AMD. Um, so that's a little unfortunate, but at the same time, I do remember all those crashes and everything I would have all the time when I had NVIDIA cards running in my system. And some of it was because of CUDA. So you got to remember one episode we said, I just removed all the CUDA drivers from my system. I still had an NVIDIA card in it, but just was not using CUDA and everything ran really well. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So uh, I would love to be able to still do that, you know, put an NVIDIA card in, but not use CUDA. But I don't even know that's for the modern OSs. I don't even know if that works very well. So anyway. S some of the things that I... Notice here, okay, so, you know, there are a bunch, uh, uh, well, one one big thing here is the PCI 
Express. Uh, well, it's an Afterburner Pro Res Pro Res Raw Accelerator card. Um, yeah. That it has. Is that something that interests you? It might, uh, if I was using ProRes RAW a lot, mm-hmm. but um, but I'm not using it a ton right now, um, just because the only things that record in ProRes RAW are Atomos devices, mm-hmm. and I don't necessarily record ProRes RAW on those all the time. Um, I have devices that record record RAW natively in the cameras, like my C200s, my Canon C200s, 200s record a kind of similar to ProRes RAW called called Canon RAW Lite. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of the same, similar sizes and, and I think performance to it. Um, and then I have uh, Blackmagic cameras that record Blackmagic RAW. <laughs> so, and I do have a couple Atomos recorders that record ProRes RAW as well. I have a Inferno and a, and a Sumo. Mm-hmm. But I don't do I don't do a lot of ProRes RAW recording on those. Interesting, kind of, novel, kind of a novelty. Yeah. Wow. I, yeah. I I I I I remember it from a, a few years ago that ProRes was everything. And well, I, it, well ProRes is it everything. is yeah ProRes the regular form of ProRes yeah ProRes four two two or ProRes four two two HQ those are still used kind of universally in everything all professional systems and post-production houses use them. And even like our ARRI cameras can record to ProRes, um, that form of ProRes. But there's, there's not there. It, I don't think pro, I don't think Apple ProRes has quite gotten the caught fire like regular ProRes at this point. Right. Because the, the, you know, the reason is, is that these different camera companies, they don't, they don't really want to record in ProRes raw. Yeah. <laughs> they want to record in their own version of ProRes. I mean, own, or, own version of raw. Their own, ver- their kind of own accelerated, smaller version of RAW that is kind of analogous to ProRes RAW. So, yeah. So I, I don't think that Apple was quite anticipating that. I think I think they were thinking that everybody was just gonna, all the camera makers, you know, like Blackmagic and, you know, maybe even Canon and Ari and all these people. Yeah. Um, maybe even Red was we're gonna start recording in, in ProRes RAW, and they're not. They're recording to their own versions of RAW. So. I think that threw a little wrench in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I've recorded in ProRes RAW just in a way kind of to test it out, and I yeah. like it a lot. I think it's great. But uh, I don't think it's much better than or any better than Blackmagic RAW or Canon RAW, though. Interesting. Yeah, I don't think it's in, I, I don't think it's even smaller. You know, I don't think it's I don't think you're getting anything out of it that those other proprietary camera-based systems have. So that's my own my own take on that. Right. So, yeah, but um, but it's okay because you can do other. I'm sure that their encoding magic encoding boxes that they're going to come out with are are going to um, you know accelerate other other codecs as well, not just ProRes RAW. The thing too about ProRes RAW is it it doesn't. I don't think it needs that much acceleration. Like I don't think it's. I think it's one of the things that's great about it is it's pretty CPU non-intensive compared to you know like H.264 or or high efficiency H.265. I don't think it's. I don't think it actually uses for the equivalent amount of resolution. I think it's like lower CPU usage than those those um, really compressed formats. Mm. So now they should tell us how many you know streams of H.265 it can do. Then then we'll get some specs going. Then yeah. We'll see. Right. 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 <laughs> I mean, all this is great, right? All these specs and you know everything that they're going to offer. That's all terrific. But you know, let let let's see the production 
uh, 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 version of it and let's run some real world, real world tests on it and then we'll yes. see what happens. Yes. Um, they mentioned here, you know, this is all great. Two USB 3 ports. Uh, they got two Thunderbolt 3 ports, two 10 gigabit uh, Ethernet ports. I'm, for the life of me, why would you need two Ethernet ports? Actually, that's that's um, somewhat common these days. Is it? Yeah. It's Not for me, though. Not for me. In pro, yeah. <laughs> Are they are they the gigabit Ethernet or are they the the, the higher than that gigabit? The, really? Yeah, that's what it says here. Okay. Um, Support for ten gigabit Ethernet oh, performance. Ten, ten gigabit. Ten, right, okay, ten yeah. gigabit. Yeah, uh, not Ethernet. one gigabit. No, okay, yeah, ten okay. over yeah. copper cabling. Yeah, so that's 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 actually a big deal now because nowadays um, instead of using these big thick you know, like Thunderbolt cables even are kind of thick compared to, and you can't run them that long compared to Ethernet cables. So now you can wire up studios and have multiple computers running and use and you, and you basically use um, IP to do it. So you can use um, Ethernet cables for that. So uh, you'll need, you might need one Ethernet cable for your regular network, and then you can use the other Ethernet cable for your, for your com- computer editing network. Yeah, and 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 send actually send video, you know, or some form of video over these. Um, still using IP protocols, so still kind of like a network, or you can multiplex them. And so um, it's actually a pretty good way. And a lot of a lot of um, uh, NAS devices, yep. and SAND devices now use um, this 10 gigabit Ethernet. So they're you're getting really fast hard drive speed. Yep. It's kind of like almost like a direct connected device, mm-hmm. but you're just doing it over Ethernet. Mm-hmm. So I can understand that, and that that's pretty cool. Because that's a good way to interface with, with storage devices. So that makes sense, and I've got that on my iMac Pro, and that works pretty well. Excellent. And, yeah, and um, so the question is, like, like how, like how many people are going to be buying these? Like, how many normal people are going to be buying these? Because I think the one. Well, let's before we dive into that question. Let's yeah. let, let's talk about some prices here first, right? right. Um, of which I'm trying to desperately look for prices. I don't know if you have them off your. I I kind of have some prices, but I don't have the full price spec sheet. Let me I know, see, let me see if I can get one here. Yeah, you t- give me a link of you. Can uh, tell me what the different. I don't know if they even have them out there. I know that it starts at six thousand dollars. Yes, um, I don't think we have a real price sheet yet uh yeah bear with me uh yeah i mean it it's uh you you know what's so funny is that oh okay here maybe this might have something to do with it here let's take a look here let me message this to you uh keith i'll message this to you over skype here uh maybe uh, and you know what, ladies and gentlemen, these are all guesses. There, there, there hasn't been anything that's, uh, I don't, I think set in stone or anything like that. I think these are just good, educated guesses that we could kind of find out there that you guys could find just as easily. Um, so you're sending me. I sent you. You sent, you sent me something just now. Yeah. 
You just okay. sent you something just now. I was trying to find out how to read chat and Skype. Skype. Oh, it, found it. you found <laughs> it. Oh, sorry it. about yes. that. I should have done no, it okay. through message. I, sorry. I saw the no. I saw the notification. I was like, I can't okay. how to read this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, well, I I think you're right in your original assessment. I think the Mac Pro on its own, low. Uh, 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 let's not. I don't think anything is low level on it. But the most basically equipped Mac Pro that you can buy is supposedly going to start at about six thousand dollars for a base model. Yes. Uh, you know, we're talking. You know. Extra features like the motherboard, a power supply, a heat sink, a cooling system, the chassis, yes. and all that kind of good stuff. Six grand. Okay. Six grand right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in that next section, Keith, if you're looking at that, mm-hmm. 12, 120 gigabit, uh, gigabytes worth of RAM sticks, DDR4s. Yes. Is that is that a real price right there? Is that a real that is, price? But there's nobody's. Well, very few people are going to want that much RAM. Okay. You know, that's like 1.2 terabytes or something like that, right? Yeah. Or 1.5 terabytes. So, so even though the Mac Pro can actually accept 1.5 terabytes of RAM, nobody's going to use it. Nobody. Well, very few normal people are going to spend. Seventeen thousand dollars for that much. Seventeen eight, Keith. Seven. Yeah. So it's closer to eighteen thousand. Okay, okay, eighteen thousand. Right. Would have mattered. Right. But yes, eighteen thousand for yeah. But if you need the RAM and you're 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 doing something that needs that much RAM professionally, it might be worth it. Right. Because maybe by using one job and all that RAM, you're saving three days of work, and you can charge them ten thousand dollars a day, and just in one job, you've you've um, made your money back on that RAM. So it's all about, you know, cost versus benefit. Right. So all these th- kind of things that seem really expensive to us because the people that are benefiting from these super high-end technologies are the ones that can afford to pay for it because it's their business. Right. Because it's a pro. Right. So I, I think, so I think what we're coming up against is that, you know, the PC market forever has been commoditized. You know, um, even though the architectures are very similar between the Mac, pros and and the pcs sometimes they they take their designs from intel themselves and just modify them a bit they there's a difference because you may be a professional and you might use a pc and you might even spend a lot of money on a super high-end pc you know like hp or some some really professional one and you might get a really good reliable system Um, but then you could also potentially buy this this mac pro or even the previous mac pros and have a really reliable somewhat expensive system and and they cannot be matched really yeah like by by even going in the pc world and even if you did go in the pc world it might still be super expensive if you had that same spec and that's always been the issue with apples it's like they're actually not that much more expensive than 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 pcs when you use the same exact spec uh, if you want to get like a lower spec you know like higher cpu um, gigahertz then then you can get a much cheaper pc and maybe even get more performance out of it, but it's not the same computer. It's a different kind of computer. It's it might actually perform better, but it's not necessarily professional because it doesn't have redundant memory and high-end components that won't break under pressure and stuff like that. So, I um 
there are a lot of different prices on this page, as as you can yeah. see. I'm I'm only yeah. going to hit some that that really stand out. Let's talk about uh, these GPUs, these yes. uh, Radeon Pros. Uh, the price that they say is unknown, but I yes. guess some think that it could possibly be twelve thousand at a minimum for these GPUs. Your thoughts? Mm, that seems kind of expensive. Yeah, I, the Ra the Radeon Pro Vega two GPU. Yeah, to cost what six thousand dollars each? Yeah, yep, sixty three hundred. Hmm. Yeah, and they and they say they they, they see okay. Uh, yeah, and you know, I'm, let's face it; these are all MSRP prices, right? So, you know that that that, that maybe maybe that's true. Maybe you can get a deal, but that's still you, you know. Okay, even ten thousand then for two, you know, <laughs> well, which would be a you, deal. Yeah, you could you could get those, and then if you needed that much power in your GPUs, then I guess you could afford to buy them. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't think I don't know if I would. I mean, I think there's going to be if I do get one of these, I don't think I'm going to be spending, you know, thirty thousand dollars on it on this computer. Yeah, I just yeah, I think that's beyond my limits, but. Maybe ten, you know. Even though it seems like a lot, yeah. Um, oh yeah. It's not, it's not really that much more than I spent for my previous computer. Yeah. Um, I spent for a 2012 cheese grater Mac probably like six thousand, and that was you know with nothing in it, and then adding RAM and other stuff, you know, probably spent more like seven if you had the cards and or maybe seven and a half with the cards and everything else. So spending and that was a while back. That was six seven years ago. Yeah. So considering inflation and the fact that this computer's probably better than that one, I mean, even comparably in time, you know, as far as being advanced, more advanced now than that was advanced back then. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't think 10,000 isn't is necessarily out of the realm of reason. <laughs> yeah. I do uh, think maybe 20, 30 might be for me. I, um, one thing that I was excited about but then disappointed about was also the uh at the simultaneous announcement of a new apple pro display oh yeah and i think they're calling it uh the xdr monitor correct a, uh so I, I believe that's the name of it uh yes. being introduced with the mac pro Yes. Uh, and I believe it doesn't mention it here in this article, but is it a 32 inch monitor? I believe it is. Um, uh, let me see. I don't know I the answer. I think, I think it is 32. Yeah. So a 32 inch monitor yes. for 5,000 bucks, not including a stand, ladies and gentlemen. So when you for so for five grand you're going to great uh, get this great thirty two inch monitor and lean it up against the wall, okay? Yeah, That's what you're yeah. gonna do. You're gonna lean it up yeah. against the wall, or you're gonna pay an extra thousand dollars for the stand that was uh, originally meant for it. that, which is fabulous. So that's six grand right there. Six grand right there. Well, you know, um, I don't know. There was some promoter like the PT Barnum and one of these guys that says that that said something to something to the effect of uh even bad news is actually good promotion <laughs> or even bad right. information or right. I it's, it's much more eloquent the way that it was said but so I feel like this monitor price I mean this stand price 
well both of them the monitor is expensive but it's not it's not beyond the beyond reasonability considering it's competing against thirty to forty thousand dollar monitors really because this is if you buy a monitor for say from sony or some other biggies and you put it in your studio it could cost thirty to forty thousand dollars the ones that would have the spec yeah so those guys are f afraid you know because apple's cut their monitor price by quarter to a quarter of what it, what they sell it for so you know but for us five thousand dollars is kind of a lot of money for a monitor you know, it maybe, is. It's a lot. A, yeah, maybe a thousand, two thousand. I spent yeah. two thousand dollars on the on the thirty two inch um, cinema display. Yeah, and it's it, oh, okay, it, right on the cinema display. But I know you've also gotten some newer monitors. Yes, that are. I mean, wouldn't you say they're just as good, if not better? Oh, they are. But at the time, they weren't. Correct. So, yeah, I've gotten newer monitors because technology marches on. Everything gets cheaper, et cetera. So I have, yeah. Both my monitors now are way better than that one. Um, but in its day, it was the best, and it was the biggest. So um, this one is, you know, one of the biggest, best monitors out there. The thing that they got a lot of bad press on was the $1,000 stand, because that is kind of yeah. stupid. <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I mean, talk about, I mean, you know, they're greedy. They're really greedy bastards over there. And this is, this is you know, this is it. This is another, you know proof of the pudding well i think they just have one guy at apple that makes the stance giuseppe <laughs> and giuseppe is a, an artist is he and he takes his time is he locked up in a dungeon somewhere <laughs> <laughs> no but he's a simple man you know he goes he, he's worn the same shoes for 15 years but he does make great monitor stands so i think that's the reason <laughs> thousand dollars for a monitor stand that's awesome signed by giuseppe i mean that that but. is great that's great so so you know i i think all in all what safe to say you're probably going to want to spend close to 10 grand for 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 this system quite possibly i think 10 grand is probably going to be the minimum that you'd spend to get anything usable that wouldn't be that would be better than getting an imac pro or the the newest iMac Pro for four thousand or five thousand or six thousand. So you're saying that so. the six thousand dollar model at its base price, at its base model, is n is really no better than an iMac Pro. It's probably no better than an iMac, as mm. far as CPU, mm. um, just speed. Mm. Um, it's probably more reliable, and it probably doesn't get as hot. It probably doesn't throttle as much. I think that one thing that people don't know about the iMacs is they throttle a lot. All the all the Mac computers, when they start getting warm, they start pulling back on the CPU usage just so they don't burn up into a big fireball. <laughs> right. <And> so, <laughs> so this one's going to have enough, you know, cheese grater, gigantic cheese grater vents to, yep. and fans to make yeah. that not happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, so, I just wonder how that, all that aluminum is going to not give you third degree burns when it gets so hot. <laughs> I have no idea how that will happen. Well, it's stainless steel. Doesn't get will, as hot. Oh, okay. That's good. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't know. I don't know. I don't Comes know. with pot holders. Yeah. I mean, like, I, they, I, I, they I only gotta, charge $350 for the I, pot I, I, I got to imagine after like 40, 72 hours or so, it's it's probably got to have that burn in kind of look. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's going to be it's gonna be all carbonized. Yeah. It's going to it's gonna, look like you, an exhaust pipe. You, you, you <laughs> might have to rub the outside of it with olive oil to season it a little oh, bit. Yes. You know how you season Perfect. your pots and pans and stuff? Perfect. Yeah. Yes. 
highly recommended to season your your new Mac Pro. Um, well, I, would you buy? Are you going to buy one? I don't know. I don't know. I'm actually pretty happy with my iMac Pro. I haven't been yeah super disappointed in it. Good. Um, I because you know the thing that you can do with these these iMac Pros are you know pretty much any Macs now is you can use Thunderbolt three to use uh, external GPUs. And a while back, I actually bought a a pretty good external GPU box, just an enclosure. Yes. For, yes. Um, Th- those breakout was, boxes, right? Yeah. 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 And I and I was gonna put um my my Nvidia cards that I that I had in my old Mac Pros, which are still okay. Um, but it turns out that the newer versions of the operating system don't work that well with them. I don't think, and the drivers just seem to cause a lot of problems. And I just don't want to, you know, create a crashy, unproductive situation. So I actually just recently got a an AMD type card. Uh, what is it? Not even that expensive. The really expensive Vega cards were too much. They were like eight hundred dollars or something. The ones that are in my iMac yep. Pro. But I got yep. the I got the Radeon RX five eighty, eight gigabyte, and it's actually still supposed to be pretty quick. Not as quick as the Vegas, which I guess are the high end ones. Mm. But it's still okay. And I'm going to try this out with my eGPU and see if it does anything good, or if it just causes a lot of hassle. So I haven't done that yet. So we'll we'll, we'll get back maybe the, by the end of this episode. I'll have tested it. <laughs> so so anyway, you could I guess you could theoretically kind of daisy chain these or use a couple Thunderbolt ports for them and get maybe like a three GPU system out of your iMac even or even your stupid little, um, you know, uh, MacBook Pro maybe MacBook Pro or the. Mac I even Mini. Forgot, I, the Mac <laughs> Mini. I even forgot what these computers are called now. It's been so long. But uh, <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah. So I'm gonna actually just see and just see if. So maybe. Well, that's actually pretty encouraging, though, to to think that the new iMac Pros are actually pretty good machines. I'm actually kind of amazed how good and fast they are. I'm surprised. You know, definitely faster than my old cheese grater. And um, this seems to run pretty cool. Doesn't the fans don't go on too often? Um, probably, I think the software is more more a limitation. You know, like Premiere Pro is just really horrible uh, speed wise. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's been so long since we've recorded something. I I do miss the rag on Premiere Pro. Yeah. Uh, well, it's really it's 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 amazing because. Anytime anybody posts anything on a Premiere update on any of these sites, you know, like Premiere is going to do this or that, or they just say, why don't you just make your stuff more stable and faster? <laughs> forget about these features. Forget about this and that. Right. And they're actually starting to uh, discontinue support for older versions of Premiere. Like oh, no. Even, yeah, oh, no. you can't even download them. Like, you know how you sometimes you'll find a version of Premiere that you really think is pretty stable and good. Right. And you want to be able to you don't necessarily want to have to store it on your system. Right. Original state. Right. It's not that easy to either. Um, well, you could always download, you can always go to these Adobe sites and download them, which is, that part's pretty cool. Well, they're starting to just only make it two revisions. So like for now, I think you can only go back to 2017. So, and then next year it'll be 2018. Right. So, yeah. And I'm actually using, f- like, like for this podcast, I'm actually using 2017. Because that's the most stable one I've found for the doing mostly audio podcast. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. And then for um, my, my new video projects, I'm using 2018 because that seem, there's a certain stable version of that. I haven't even tried 2019 because 2019, I've heard from everybody, it just sucks and just crashes <laughs> your computer. Like you want to, like it's just, just if you want to install it, just you're in for like a week of non-productivity and then you wind up going back to the previous version. <laughs> so why would you even do it? So anyway, oh, I'm just saying, and then, and then when you look at the speed things about editing and rendering and all this stuff with the different um, NLEs, Premiere Pro is like one fourth the speed of of Final Cut or Resolve, which is ridiculous. Yeah. So anyway, so I think it's I'm just saying it's more of a software limitation than the the hardware. I think these days in a lot of cases. Right. So. Right. 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 Yeah. Right. But <coughs> so you know, all it, all in all, to me, yeah. it sounds as if Keith Moreau, you're kind of uh, in a mode of wait and see on this new Mac Pro. Oh yeah, yeah. I. I don't even know if I would buy the first version of it. You know, like if it came out at the end of this year, um, and it's probably going to, when they say this year, it's probably going to come out on December 29th, kind of like last, the the iMac Pro from a couple of years ago. Yep. So <laughs> it's... Well, there's, they're saying uh, here, what, 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 when they say is this going to be released, would they say fall? Hang on. Let me, at, at the top of the Apple site, it says, let me, re, re, coming this fall. Okay. So, you know. So fall is, I guess. If, that could I be December. Win- that still could yeah, be. Winter like, eventually starts yeah. December 21st. So yeah. they could release it December 20th. Yep. And then you won't be able to buy it because that's Christmas week. So. Right. Realistically, it's going to be next year. I think. We'll have to bet on it and see when it actually comes out. Yeah. But anyway, so it's not. It's really not going to be for over a year. Well, from now, it'll be a six months at least before we can even say how great this thing is you know where there's enough reports out there where yeah it's worth it or it's a big hassle or this or that and then probably a year after that where there's an, a refresh so i'm thinking it's going to be a couple of years but it's you know it, but it's great awesome that apple's doing it i'm not putting them down i think it's great that they're still pushing this pro platform yeah yeah, and, and and I would actually have to say this is probably much more in line of what people were hoping for. I know you would have been pl- very pleased that this be the one rather than the trash can Mac Pro. Yeah, the trash can was just that was fail. that was just kind of novelty, goofy yeah. kind of thing. It was thing. goofy. Yeah, it was goofy. It was, in my opinion, no better than an, than an iMac. Yeah, you know, right, and kind of proved it because. You know, you can buy iMacs that are much faster than it these days, and it wasn't expandable. So you're just buying this kind of cool thing, but it's fast for maybe six months and then became sur- surpassed. Yeah, so much much more in line with the pro, kind of the pro mentality Yeah. of yeah. being expandable. So that part's really cool. Yeah, I, I, I think that, that it, by what the looks of it, this kind of looks like what everyone would want to spend their Fifteen thousand dollars on, rather than the trash can Mac Pro. Yeah, so. and at the the price is going to limit everybody from getting them. Yeah, it's gonna, there's probably going to be fewer people that bought this one than the previous one because I think the previous one you could get the low end version for three to four thousand. Uh huh. You know, if you really scrounged. Right. And that's that's nearly half of what this one's out for, and that's even considering inflation, it's still probably a little bit more expensive than the previous one. Right. So. 
and and everybody's just the commodity thing about really really cheap computers is really driven the price down on lots of stuff even probably even the components inside these things but still some things you have to pay for and yep. some people aren't willing to they just don't, it's not worth it for them yep exactly you know, they, they'd rather build their hackintosh yeah <laughs> and get something true that they're going to be tearing their hair out for months and months over and loss of productivity but right. they save a bunch of money they save a bunch of money and then they get yeah. that satisfaction of diy and all this kind of thing yeah yeah which some people really like to do so yeah they have the time to do it yeah. and and it's okay it's fun I, i'm kind of i'm kind of like that too but then yeah. there's a limit yeah i mean so. like you, you know you definitely have to have a system already up and running to actually do the work and then maybe you can tool around with it like a hobby type of thing and then hopefully get that yeah rolling so that you can replace the the workhorse that you'd been using right so right yeah great yeah. all right good well hey that's the new apple mac pro along with mm -hmm. their uh, 32 inch uh new display that doesn't come with a stand and uh <laughs> that will be uh released this coming fall and that could mean I guess any time around September-ish, huh? So uh, after September's, September to the end of the year? September. Yeah, after yeah. September. More likely, like you, like you said, probably the end of the year, if, if anything. So That's what I'm thinking, but you never know. No, you it never know. Us. You never yeah. know. You never know. But um, let's, let's move on here uh, okay. because I think the, the kids at home are really looking forward to uh, something that occurred back, uh, when, when was this? Back in April. Uh, yes. It is the NAB 2019 show that happened in Lost Wages, uh, Nevada. I mean, Las Vegas, Nevada. <laughs> uh, and Keith, uh, being our man about the town, uh, yes. was um, uh, tasked with uh, getting us some really great interviews and and talking to the folks folks on the uh, on the uh, showroom floor yes. and he was successful at doing some of that so mm -hmm. um, uh, Keith a a any little quick comments uh, you want to give about NAB let's let, let's not do a summary we'll do the summary at the end of the show mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. uh, w w you know maybe what you were looking forward to if you can remember that far back because I sure can't uh, but uh, what were you looking for out of NAB were, were you expecting any kind of new gear to pop out uh, so on and so forth what were you looking for with NAB I think I was looking for something new from Canon Cinema and they really didn't because i i you know i have a couple c200s and i really like the canon stuff and just i i love they're they're kind of almost always there but never quite there with everything yep. and um i was hoping for an update maybe to the c200 because there were tons of rumors about the c200 getting a better internal codec because right um right now the c200 does um 8-bit internal um mp4 type recordings and it's it's good it's actually really great quality for 8-bit but it's still 8-bit and it's a, and it's 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 a little it kind of limits the camera's use in some situations just because you know a lot of news gathering organizations and and other places they, they require 10-bit recording and so you can get 10-bit and even higher if you use raw but then raw is really kind of expensive to run because it uses a lot of data and uses expensive cards and 
you have to swap them out all the time instead of having a long recording on these SD cards that it has. So everybody was, you know, there were like, there's a like 3,000, no, not 3,000, like 300 uh, post thread about it on one of the sites. And everybody was saying, yeah, it's going to come out. Don't don't worry, it's coming out, you know. And and there's just all this discussion. And then finally when it became, it didn't come out. And so everybody was disappointed right. with their, their crappy camera that wasn't upgraded. And, uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'm fine. I'm fine with it. Cause I've done a bunch of recording on the eight bit and it's awesome. It, it still works, works really great. Cool. Right. I mean, eight bit still looks great. It looks great. And then when you're doing just little B roll here and there, I used, I use ProRes cause it's got much more latitude and, and, uh, you can grade it a lot better. And, um, you can push stuff around. So it's really great for kind of running guns, short stuff. You probably want to, don't want to do really, really long interviews on it. Cause it's just, can use a lot of data, right? but you could, you could even do that if you wanted to. And then you get the utmost in quality cause it's raw. So, um, I, lo- I love that. So in a way it's a greatly, it's a really awesome design camera. It's just that if they put that 10 bit in, then there would just be no reason not to get one for anybody. And I think that they just don't want to cannibalize maybe their, their higher end camera sales. But I don't think they're selling that many of the C300s anyway, so why not? But we'll see. Uh, so that was the thing I was looking for. It didn't happen. I wasn't thinking there would be too much more from Blackmagic or any of the other camera makers. I hadn't heard anything, and there really wasn't. So I didn't I didn't focus too much on going there. Like I'd go to I went by the Canon booth. It's crazy. They have couple, they had a couple new type cinema lenses in it. Not too interested in them. Um, kind of skipped that one, even though I visited the booth skipped you know sony booth and just went to a couple others that looked interesting that had some new stuff so we'll talk about that when the segments come up fabulous uh just to get everyone all ready for it we've got uh interviews from zcam we have uh products from ergo rig we have atomus and we also of course have our friends from black magic designs and so we've got a lot of coverage uh coming up with regards to NAB 2019, mm-hmm. and uh, so let's do this, Keith. Let's take a let's take a little break here. Let's reset um, everything here, and mm-hmm. we will dive into uh, the interviews and uh, and get going with our uh, 2019 NAB special. Um, and we'll uh, we'll we'll reset in just a minute. How about that? Awesome. Very good. All right, folks, we'll be right back with more on Tech Move. Continuing coverage of NEB 2019 here on Tech Move. It's Rod Louie and our man about the town, Keith Moreau. Keith, we have another special interview with the folks at ZCAM that we'd like to present our audience. Uh, you were good enough to uh, secure uh, Alan Chen from ZCAM, and uh, he's the product marketing director at ZCAM, and he spent a few minutes with you talking about uh, a couple of new products that uh, look pretty interesting. Uh, I think specifically one that they're really hyped on is the Zcam E2, I believe it is. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Can, can you explain that to, to us, what the E2 is? E2 is better than the E1. <laughs> the, the E1. <laughs> and a couple of bucks more, probably, I would imagine, huh? Yeah. I don't even know if they have the E1 anymore, but... Um, so, so the Z cam and I, I've seen them a few couple of years in a row. They didn't start too long ago, but, um, the thing that I love about the Z cam is it's just, uh, just a box with nothing else on it. Kind of like with the cinema pocket cam or the cinema, sorry, the black magic micro cameras are right. Um, but apparently the image quality on these Z cams is really, really good. So they started, they were kind of famous for the Z cam E2, which is the, the kind of the equivalent of the pocket 4k uh and it's just a box it needs all kinds of you know monitoring and handles and things like that but its image is pretty darn good and it's got it records an apple pro res and then they're also coming out with the zcam e2-s6 which is the s35 kind of version of it it's maybe slightly bigger um, and then they're actually coming out with the E2-F6. I don't know if we talked about that or not on the show, but um, anyway, it's it's actually I, it's a it's a it's a company to watch. I think because I think they're going to start becoming more and more popular, and the prices are really really good for what they do. So, are they a direct competitor to Blackmagic Design? Yeah, I would say they're a direct com- competitor to them. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. They, yeah. Yeah, it's a 4K at 156 frame, frames per second, Apple ProRes certified. Could be in kind of a neat form factor. It l- literally looks like a big dice. Yeah, yeah. It's just a it's it's a little bit like a red, but I think it's much more, in a way, more usable than a red red out of the box. You just need to plug a monitor to into it and then add some storage. So. All right. Yeah. All right. Excellent. Well, let's get to it then. Uh, let us begin our discussion with Alan Chen from ZCam and our very own Keith Moreau right here on TechMove. Hi, Keith Moreau here with TechMove. We're here with ZCam, and I've got Alan of ZCam, and he's going to talk about some of their um, current products and some of the new-to-come products. Hi, Alan. Hi. Hi, I'm Alan. Yeah. So here, here in my hand is our product in the market. It's a ZCam E2, which was uh, announced last year in NAB, and we delivered it uh, in October last year. So it's right on the market. It's a 4K micro four-third camera uh, with uh, maximum 120 FPS frame rate. So you can run 4K 120 FPS uh, with this camera. And uh, it has a micro four-third CMOS sensor with uh, 13 to 15 stop dynamic range. So it has very good uh, quality of image. So, and uh, also we, uh, we have plenty of uh, interface. So we used, uh, we have Wi-Fi for Ethernet, and we have uh, kind of a USB-C uh, for control and also for external recording. And this camera uses a CFast uh, 2.0 card for internal recording. And uh, we just got the uh, uh, ProRes certification from Apple this year, so it can record uh, ProRes internally on this camera up to uh, 4K 60fps, yeah. What types, what flavors of ProRes? ProRes is a kind of high quality uh, video codec. Uh, uh, it's very friendly to the post-production. Yeah, because it has a bigger uh, bit rate with uh, less compression and uh, it's uh, more friendly for post-production, yeah. Okay, so with ProRes, you know, you have ProRes 422, ProRes HQ, ProRes uh, RAW, etc. 422 HQ. 
up to 422HQ and also 422 and 422LTM proxy, yeah. That's great. So this is available now? Yeah, it's available on the market, yeah. Mm -hmm. And can you send out as well to a hard disk recorder? SSD, something out through USB? Yeah, we have a USB-C port at the back, so it can connect to a SSD external SSD for recording. Yeah, sure. That's great. And then do you have some type of log formats that you also record in? Yes, we have our own log called Z-Log. It's a very nice curve. So, uh, and with our plugin uh, for post uh, softwares like the Premiere and Resolve or Final Cut Pro, we can uh, produce very nice image with our plugin, with our log file, yeah. And are there any other features like autofocus or anything like that? Yeah, we have uh, autofocus and even continuous autofocusing with uh, human body tracking uh, visibility uh, functions. Yeah, because within this uh, smart body, the chipset has a deep learning module. So with that module, we enable the human body tracking fun phys uh, function. Yeah. Wow, that sounds kind of smart hand. Yeah. That sounds really good. Yeah. How would you compare this to, say, for example, the Canon dual pixel autofocus? Uh, to, to what? Can uh, how would you compare this autofocus to something like the Canons or the, the Sony's? Yeah, uh, they're very good at autofocusing. Uh, our fo focusing is not that fast, but it's still usable. Okay, so it's contrast-based rather than some other pixel-based? It's not pixel-based. Uh, it's not contrast-based, I mean, yeah. Uh, okay, so it's a little more advanced than contrast-based, but it's not like a dual pixel. Yeah, like yeah, so. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, that's great. And then... And then how long, for example, we've got, what, a 950 battery on here? Use the standard Sony MPF uh, battery plate. So, for example, if you use a Sony MPF 970, it can run continuous at least four hours for continuous recording. Wow, that's amazing. Yes, because our advanced uh, technology, the power consumption is very efficient. Yeah. That's great. Okay, I noticed there's, there's a little... There's some type of display here, but it's not a it's not a video display. It's a control display. It is a video display. Oh, really? It's a, it's a full color video display. You can you can see the you can actually preview with it. It's actually small, but it's usable. Oh, okay. And then you have some type of also video output to monitor. Yes, we have a full type HDMI, so you can output uh, up to 4K 60fps to a monitor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then. Um, any other features you want to mention on this current product? Uh, one thing I do to point out is that we have a, a kind of a synchronization port, so we can synchronize multiple cameras up to like the 50 cameras uh, to pixel level perfect sync. Yeah, because we we have been doing in the last two years we've been VR cameras, so we are kind of good at the camera syncing uh, technology. Yeah, so one of the customer used 12. E2 setup to record a kind of a 30k super big image videos. Yeah. Wow, that's that's amazing. And is it your own proprietary syncing technology? Sorry. Is it your own syncing technology? Yes, it's our own syncing technology. Yeah. Uh -huh. What about timecode in and out? And we support timecode, and also we have a kind of accessory called timecode adapter, which can receive timecode signal from external devices. Yeah, we just released uh, this accessory. Uh, shot recently, yeah. And that goes in the serial port? Yeah, it goes with the serial port, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's kind of accessory, adapter onto it, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's great. And then you use, and you can have some type of IP output as well? Yes, uh, with the Ethernet port, we can control the camera remotely with the PC software 
And also we can fetch the video stream with that part. So you can do live streaming with this camera. Yeah. Wow, this is great. So what's the weight of the camera without the cage and the battery? It's uh, 760 grand. Yeah, because it's metal housing, full metal housing for better uh, heat re releasing. So actually it's very tight and not, not heavy actually. Yeah, it's about less than two pounds, right? Yes. It's less than two pounds, yeah. Like one and a half pounds. One and a half pounds. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, right. Wow, that's, that's pretty cool. I assume that these work well on gimbals. Yeah, it's well because it's a cube and it's very solid. So it's easy to get balance on a gimbal. You can see over there, we, we can fit on most of the gimbal on the market. Yeah, works well. Yeah. Wow, that's, that's great. Okay, so this is the current release and how much does this cost? Uh, this is 2,000 US dollars. So it's available on BH right now already. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's great. Okay, so now we're going to talk about some upcoming camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is our new model. We call it the Zcam E2 slash S6. Actually, why we're doing this camera is when we, after we release E2, we got many feedbacks from our customer. They're happy with the image quality, the performance, but the only limitation is the sensor size, micro four-third, and the lens mount, the micro four-third. So they want, to, they want a bigger sensor and a bigger lens mount to do even filmmakers. So, so, that, so we kind of uh, uh, introducing our new model like the Zcam S6. It's a 6K Super 35 camera with a similar camera design and a similar size of E2. You can see from this one. The only difference is that the lens mount is bigger because we have a EF lens mount here and we also have a PL lens mount option. Yeah, and also we were starting on Micro Force lens mount at the same time. Yeah. So with this camera, you get uh, you have a bigger sim uh, sensor. You get a better image quality, and uh, yeah, and you can fit to uh, more len lenses. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Same autofocus capability. Yeah, because we share the same hardware and software platform with uh, ZCAM E2, so most of function uh, are, are the same on the ZCAM E2 and the other uh, variants. Yeah. Wow. Um, pretty cool. Um, and then what is this going to go for and when is it going to be released? This one uh, will be announced uh, in October this year. Yeah, so it's kind of six months later. Yeah. Any idea on the price? It's uh, 4,000 US dollars, actually 3,995. That sounds like a really good deal. So I just became familiar with Zcam pretty recently, like maybe a year ago. So tell me a little bit about the history of Zcam and some of the previous products and things like that. Okay, actually Zcam, our team kind of uh, uh, started a company f uh, six years ago. We start from, uh, actually our founder is uh, very professional in the imaging and video video uh, industry. So we have we have kind of introduced our first micro camera E1 in two, 2015, which is the smallest micro camera in the world at that time. And after that, actually in 2016 and 2017, we have been making several professional VR cameras, including 360 and 180 VR cameras, uh, uh, a whole series. And so, uh, but uh, back to last year, to, from 2018, we back to focus on the kind of uh, uh, high-level uh, video cameras the 4K video cameras, so we build an E2, yeah. So our team is mostly the engineers, they are quite professional at the 
video, I like imaging, I like color science, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Um, one of the things that is really hot now is recording RAW. Do you have any plans to do that? Actually, we are working on the new firmware for E2 with RAW enabled. So with the firmware update, even with E2, you can record RAW internally, yeah. Are you going to be possibly recording in Apple, Apple RAW or some of the other lighter RAW formats? Apple ProRes RAW, I don't think so. Yeah, but we have ProRes already, we have RAW, so it's already many options for the, for the customer, yeah. So you're going to record in your own flavor of RAW? Yeah, it's our own RAW, it's our own RAW, yeah, because we want to control the quality. Yeah. Okay, that's great. Well, thanks so much, Alan. You've been really, really, really helpful. I actually really love your camera. I love the smallness of it. Um, I could see this going maybe at the end of a big boom pole, like as a jib or on, on, a, on a smaller gimbal. Um, I have some other mic small Micro Four Thirds cameras, but this is very, very intriguing to me. So I really, I'm really glad that you gave me this interview. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Keith. Yeah. Keith Moreau signing off for TechMove NAB 2019. That's our friend Alan Chen from ZCam in our continuing coverage of NEB 2019. It is Rod Louie and our man about the streets, Keith Moreau. Thank you very much for getting Alan to, to talk with us. The E2, very interesting uh, mm -hmm. product here. It's a... Um, it's this 4K, 160 frames per second, 10-bit color. And I asked you uh, during the production meeting, uh, it looks like it's micro four-thirds. Yeah. The, the the original one that's, I think, the most popular is the micro four-thirds. And that's been out for a while, maybe a year. Mm -hmm. And it's I think it's, they've sold a lot because I, I see them talked about in a lot of areas. Um, kind of like a red kind of modular you know it's just a box and you have yeah. to add everything to make it work but yeah. everybody has these things anyway you know you have hard drives you have um, monitors you have handles you know so in a way it's just like a little cube that can, you can just add things to to make it work and but the thing that's kind of intriguing is they have um, a super 35 sized one and they all, and that's that's 6k so it's pretty high resolution and that's not out yet is that correct um, I think it's yeah, I think it's close to being out, but it's not quite out yet. Okay. Yeah. Even at the time of this recording, because you know us, we're pretty far yeah. behind. <laughs> I don't. I don't think it's quite out, but it's, but it's, because if you go to their website, you you can only order, um, the four micro four thirds ones. Yeah, nothing's there. You know? Yeah. So, but they he told me they're coming out soon. Um, what's really interesting, which I think, if they can actually get it out at the price point, which I think is about five k, is the full frame version. And there's a there's a 6K full frame version, and there's a six there's an 8K full frame version. Wow! And and that's that's pretty cool. I think that at least the 6K full frame version is going to be like a red killer, if it if it actually is a good a good camera. Mm. So okay, yeah. so we need to be on the lookout for that. Yeah, I think so. Interesting. That's something that I would possibly consider. Okay. You know, just for that full frame look. That's great. That's yeah. great. Uh, but as far as the E2, interesting. Uh, uh, on their website, they seem to have some uh, sample footage of what they've taken. Looks pretty good. Yeah. You know, you know, we'll, 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 we'll see. I, I just wonder what it is that you would have to add to it to make it useful for you, Keith Moreau. For me, I, I would probably have everything I need to make it useful for me. 
because mm-hmm. I already have a bunch of peripherals for all kinds of things. I have a, small monitors, large monitors, handle rigs, hard drives, lenses. So I could actually just get this camera and it would actually work. I wouldn't have to personally buy anything extra. Yeah. But you do need to add things to to make it work. You can't just buy it and, and it's going to work for you. You need, at least need a, an external monitor. You at least, at least need a hard drive and some storage. Uh, one interesting uh, product uh, fact that they're that they put on their website: uh, gigabit Ethernet for data control for data, comma control mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. live streaming. So it sounds it sounds very interesting. It sounds like you could use this in a live application if you really need to. I just don't know how good it could stream with all that content. You know what I mean? I just don't. Yeah, I think I think it's you know just like Blackmagic has Ethernet outputs and things. I think you know lots of cameras are starting to get it, get that, and I believe that that's a great feature. And they're going to sell a lot to the kind of bo- more of the broadcasting market for that yeah. reason. Okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good. All right. Uh, that is the Z Cam, folks. So thank you very mm-hmm. much, Keith. Uh, let's take a break, and we'll come back and maybe finish out this uh, special. NAB 2019 edition of Tech Move. We'll be right back. All right, I'm Rod Louie, and with me is Keith Moreau from Tech Move and our continuing coverage of NAB 2019 from Las Vegas. Uh, and our next interview that we have is a very interesting rig. Uh, it's something called Ergo Rig. And Keith was able to secure an interview with the inventor. And uh, I'm going to say the founding uh, person, his name is Jesse Feldman of Ergo Rig. And Keith, this is something I know that you're always very interested in as far as uh, these types of back-saving, arm-saving body saving uh equipment uh assistance uh uh devices yes yes i've from the very beginning i always thought that it was a pain to have a uh gigantic camera on your shoulder or or on an outstretched arm so that you show every shake on a camera when your muscles are completely collapsing from the strength required yes yes (laughs) and uh (laughs) Yeah, so uh, walking around, looking at this thing, it it's it's funny because it, you don't notice this thing immediately when you're walking through, but you do notice the gigantic um, rigs that are almost look like you're Iron Man, with a with a big uh, <laughs> sling over your your shoulders and rods and stuff, and you take up about 20, 20 feet circumference. Severe of space. It's like you need like a helicopter uh, landing in order to do a pan shot or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I would feel very insecure with that. But I think on a movie set, they have they have use uh, because they definitely offload. But they were this guy was sharing um, kind of the same booth area with the other ostentatious ones that are always there. So they must be doing well because I always see these guys there, and um, and so. Yeah, and I said this is actually something that maybe I could I could use, and so yeah, so I went there, and he's a really nice guy. He turned out to, he's he's actually a fairly accomplished camera operator and cinematographer. Yes. So he um, he actually shot a bunch of um, 
series that we we know. Yep. Um, one was uh, Sons of Anarchy. Yep. And um, and I'll I'll talk more about that in the outro about what he's what he told me. About okay. It. Sounds great. Well, let's get to that because it's a very interesting product that he's got. Uh, Again, a company is called Ergo Rig, and you spell that E-R-G-O-R-I-G. And our guest today is Jesse Feldman, who speaks to our very own Keith Moreau on the floor of NAB 2019 right here on Tech Move. Hi, this is Keith Moreau with Tech Move Podcast, NAB 2019. We've got Jesse Feldman here with Ergo Rig, and Jesse's actually the inventor and developer of the Ergo Rig. Hi, Jesse. How you doing? Good. So tell me a little bit about your Ergo Rig and all the functions and how it started, etc. Yeah, so Ergo Rig is to protect camera operators. As camera operators, we do handheld all the time, 12 hours a day, big heavy cameras, and it takes a toll on our bodies. And we should be able to be healthy. We should be able to go home and pick up our kids and do everything else. Uh, after 16, 18 years of cameras on my shoulder, it, it took a toll on my body. And I'm way too young to have a back broken like it is. Uh, I did two seasons on Sons of Anarchy, which is all handheld. And, and that was kind of the nail in the coffin for me with a big camera and, and not being able to do handheld just with a camera on my shoulder anymore. And so I wanted to keep doing it. And that led me down the road to making this. This basically has a false shoulder that sits above your normal shoulder. You put the camera on and you operate just as if you were holding a camera on your shoulder. It just doesn't have the weight on your spine. So all the way to transfer to your hips, which can take a lot more weight without you noticing it. And it feels like you're not carrying anything. And you can relax and breathe and just operate the camera. So this takes all the weight. You just operate it. Wow, that's awesome. So tell me about the history of like how long ago did you think about it? Prototypes, manufacturing, all the all the fun details. Yeah, so I was working on Neighbors 2, and we were doing long improvisational takes, Seth, and would just keep going and going and going, and it, it was in the studio Alexa, and it was all handheld, so we'd just stand there with cameras on our shoulders, and it was too much. So we ended up using, like, pogo sticks to basically support the weight of the camera, but it wasn't really feasible because every time you have to move, you have to lift up, and it just didn't make a lot of sense. So that got me thinking, well... If all you need to do is transfer the weight, there's got to be a way to do that in a mobile way. And that led me down the road of this. So, you know, it's probably two and a half years of prototyping, maybe a little more than that, and development and getting different features and feedback and this and that. And so we're finally releasing it here at NAB. That's great. And how has the response been? It's been great. It's been really good. I've been, the last couple of months, I've been giving demo units to friends working on different shows. And, and it's, it's been really good. You know, it's, it's fun to see here giving it to some random person I don't know, you know, seeing their skeptical face, putting the camera on their shoulder and seeing this, ah, like there's, I've, I've witnessed this moment a hundred times now of just people just with this aha moment of, oh, that's easy. Like, why didn't somebody do this before? And it's not rocket science. It just, it just, you know, it works. And I think they're envisioning spending 12 hours a day with heavy cameras on their shoulders and being able to go home at night and sit down on the couch and be okay. And I assume that you use your own product? I do. <laughs> I, I very much do. I actually can't do handheld without it now. Like physically, uh, a cinema camera on my shoulder is too much weight for my broken back. I'm just in pain. So I use it for everything. Wow, that's awesome. Um, so 
you want to sh- talk about it in detail? Some, tell us a little bit about what it's composed of and how to adjust it. Sure. So it goes on your body like this. Now are we getting the whole frame? You tighten it so it sits right above your hips. You get the middle strap. This basically keeps it all next to you so it is an extension of your body rather than a separate piece on your body. You get them both tight. And then on the front and back, you adjust the height through here. This goes up and down for different body types. This individually goes up and down. Some women prefer it to be high or low or just depending on your body type. So you get it to a point where it sits so there's just a little bit of space in between your shoulder. And then when you put a camera on it. And how much does this camera camera set, set up with? This camera itself is 33 pounds. Uh, we, this, this rig can take cameras you know, as heavy as you can build. It can take a full Alexa 65 with anamorphics. And, and you can see there's a little bit of space in there. And it just, it just takes the weight. So I, ha- I feel no weight on my shoulder right now. It's all on my hips, which, you know, your hips can take a lot of weight without you noticing. It's not like you're carrying nothing, but you're not carrying it on your back. Your spine is not getting compressed. So I can be here, you know, just operating, and I'm breathing right now. I'm not straining. I can, I can just, with light touch, adjust my tilt and pan, and it's just more in control. Anything you need to modify with this rig as far as your posture or anything like that? No, I mean, every time you operate, any handheld camera operator understands that there's micro adjustments you make to your body that are going to, you know, just adjust how you, how you do this with keeping your level horizon. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to wrap it all up into a little thing on a podcast, but you spend years operating a camera, you learn these small body tricks, you know. Um, with this, you can, you can use all those things and use more because you, you just learn new ones because you learn how it sits with your body because it's attached to your body. It's, it's not going anywhere, right? So you just learn how to, you know, kind of bend differently. But you can sit down, you can stand up, you can run, you can walk, you can do whatever, and it doesn't influence the camera movement. In fact, probably having to, you probably have to stand up a little bit straighter uh, all the time, but that's probably better for you anyway. Exactly. The idea is to handhold cameras ergonomically. So this, not only does it not put weight on your spine, so that's an ergonomic aspect of it, but it forces you to keep a straighter back so you're not, you know, bending over and, and cradling and doing things that are going to cause you back pain. Wow. That's pretty cool. So it looks pretty straightforward, and um, that's, that's a great little invention. Okay, so I don't know if you want to hold this while we talk about some other stuff or if you want to put it down. Maybe if it keeps holding us, this will prove how great the <laughs> yeah. device is. Um, but you mentioned that you actually did some uh, camera, camera operating for Sons of Anarchy. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that experience and what you were using on the show. I assume it was a film camera, but I don't even know. Um, so tell us a little bit about that experience. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I spent about six years in the indie world doing indie features and music videos and and non-union stuff and then I joined the union uh, in 2007 and since then have done Sons of Anarchy, Homeland, True Blood, uh, People vs. O.J. Simpson, Versace, Feud. Uh, we love Versace, we just saw that. That was a fun one, yeah. Uh, more more stuff, that Disaster Artist, uh, I don't know, other stuff. Uh, so Sons of Anarchy was a camera more heavy than this. I think our camera, we weighed it one day and it was 
35 or 40 pounds, I believe. It was in a studio Alexa with zooms, with transmitters, with accessories, with you know, with scopes. With it was just a big build, and we just put it on our shoulders, and that's what we did. And Sons of Anarchy was uh, I'm forgetting seven or eight seasons. I feel like it was eight, seven or eight seasons. Yeah, because I think I did six and seven, so seven seasons, and it was all handheld. So that's seven years of two camera operators, sometimes three, having a camera on their shoulder all the time. It takes its toll. After, after I did Sons, I did a few episodes of Veep, and that's, again, similar build, similar camera, and it's, you're just all on your shoulder, you know? After enough time, that takes its toll on you, and you can't do it anymore. And there's lots of operators who have broken backs and, you know, slip discs and all kinds of problems just from having a camera on their shoulder. So we need to, as a community, come together and, and take charge of our bodies and keep ourselves healthy. So I, I'm also a camera operator, although I don't usually operate cameras this gigantic. I usually operate much smaller cameras in this kind of new digital age of, uh, I mean, this camera's in its day, it was probably hundred to two hundred thousand dollars with lens and extra. You know, I'm talking more like under twenty k type cameras. Um, so I probably don't have quite the, the the weight issue that you do for me personally. But but also a heavier camera has a better uh, handheld quality, I think, than a than a small light camera. So talk talk a little bit about that. Sure. So I mean, you know, it's all about inertia. Like with Steadicam, you know, if if you have too small of a camera, you don't have enough inertia. Uh, your, your movement's going to be different with a heavier camera with a lighter camera. That's why when you pick up your phone, you know, it can kind of be shaky a lot because you have no weight, you know. There's nothing stopping you from moving from point A to point B, or nothing resisting, rather. So it's not that we want heavy cameras as camera operators or as filmmakers. They are inherently heavy, you know. Glass and lenses is, is one aspect of it that is a little limited in terms of how small that can get. We can get the camera smaller to a degree, of course, but it's going to be heavy once we get follow focus on, once we get all these accessory on, uh, as well as larger sensor cameras. I mean, an, an LF, a 65, these are bigger cameras and they're heavy and people want to do handheld with them. You know, Marvel, there was an operator that on one of the Avengers movies just had, you know, was just handholding camera, did a pan and slipped a disc in his back and, and was down. And so they've ended up going to a bungee system for a lot of rigs where you can literally kind of float a camera air, which is great and cool, but unless you're Avengers, you're not going to have access to that time and money to be able to do that. Or if you're having two cameras moving at the same time, one of them's going to have to be on your shoulder. So something like this is able to take the weight for you and just protect you as you do it. Okay, now we get down to, are these available now and how much do they cost? They are available now, yes. They cost $1,850. If, if you buy them within the next two weeks of now, they're $1,700. We're doing an NAB special. Uh, they're available now. You can go to ergorig.com and buy. Wow, that's awesome. Well, I really want to ask you all about your career and all the other stuff and all your DP work, but we could probably save that for another podcast or just or just end it now, but maybe maybe after after the recording. So thanks so much, Jesse. You've been great. Thank you very much. Keith Murrow signing off for TechMove. It's Rod Louie and Keith Moreau. Keith Moreau just getting done with the folks over at Ergo Rig and the one and only Jesse Feldman, who is the inventor and founder of the Ergo Rig. Very nice product. Keith, give me uh, some of your impressions uh, once you strapped it on yourself. 
Oh, it was great. It was great. You know, some of these cameras, the the big cinema cameras with all the batteries and other stuff attached to them can be like 30 pounds, 40 pounds, 50 pounds. Once you rig they're, them they're out pretty, like that, right? Yeah. Yeah, they're pretty massive. So so he actually invented it because he started developing back problems from doing Sons of Anarchy for, for a few seasons. Yep. And um, they were just all hand, all handheld, that show. And a lot of shows are are fully handheld to get that immediate kind of excitement. And uh handheld looks pretty good on when you're, when you have a pretty massive camera like that, cause you just don't get the micro shakes. Yep. Uh, the problem is, is that you always have this weight on one side of your body. And uh, so it looks good, but then it can really, really um, physically take its toll. So um, yeah, the ergo rig, it's a really simple concept. It's just um, a waist belt. So it puts all the, the weight of something on your hips, kind of like a big backpack would, um, you know, they're hip based and your body's much easier, uh, can carry that much more easily without straining your back. Cause the, the load is not on your back. It's actually on your hips and legs. So, um, and then it has this kind of loop that goes over up around your back to your front and just clears your shoulder just by a small amount. So this strap is not actually resting on your shoulders. There's a little bit of airspace in between. And you can adjust it, of course, different people have different body lengths and things. So you can, it's adjustable. And then it's got got a kind of a, a grippy pad on the top. And then you just put your shoulder mounted camera on top. Nice. And and it just totally isolates the weight from your shoulder. So it's not pressing down by uh, unilaterally on your, on your body. And I could see this being super popular for all the camera operators out there in Hollywood. Or anybody else that that carries a big shoulder rig around? Uh, not appropriate for documentarians like yourself or anything like that because the the rig. I mean, you know, you got to see two hundred. I mean, you know, is is, is is that still manageable for you? Um, I don't I don't mount it on the shoulder that much, mm-hmm. luckily. But it's it when you rig it out, it can get kind of heavy. It can be like ten fifteen pounds. If you if you put a big heavy lens on it and and you have all the extra stuff going on yeah it starts getting kind of heavy so it is possible that that if i were in a shoot where i would be standing up all day um and needed to have this on my shoulder uh with a a little bit bigger rig a big bigger camera rig that i could possibly want one and they're not that expensive i think it's like less than two two thousand dollars like 1500 bucks so it's kind of in the same price range as the the easy rigs which have a different different concept yeah um but it's just for shoulder. Uh, there is a way that he said you can kind of use it to also do handheld where you put a strap around it. So you just kind of have a shoulder strap on your camera and then you could just put it on, still put it on your shoulder and then it transfers the weight to your hips, but you're using the rig still to, to, to manage the camera. I feel like it's a little bit less convenient to do that than just holding a camera. But um, I think it's primarily just if you're gonna have it on the shoulder all day, yeah really great thing to have for me i probably won't get one right away i have other solutions for the smaller cameras but still i I really like the concept great that's Mm -hmm. great and and uh uh, real quickly in comparison to the other competitors that have stuff like this you know who've thought ahead about you know saving backs saving arms and stuff like that there uh, there are a lot of solutions out there how how does how, how do you think this compares to some of those other solutions I think from a simplicity simplicity point of view, it's in a way easier to get the the shoulder handheld look 
So the traditional thing of just putting the camera on your shoulder and shooting, it's it's on your shoulder and you can kind of move your body around a little bit, but you can walk a certain way and get pretty steady. For that particular use, just that use only, I think it's one of the best solutions to offload your back okay. other than just putting it on your shoulder, right? Right. Because the Easy Rig has its own limitations. You you can kind of hold it in front of you, but it's floaty. It's not it's not the same look. Yep. So you you can kind of emulate it. Um, but it's it's not as not quite as easy as just putting it on your shoulder. Yep. Um, however, the Easy Rig is more versatile because you can easily just pull the thing up and down. You kind of have it once you have it neutrally balanced, then the camera's floating, and it just will respond to you pu pushing it up and down on the cable, and and so therefore you can get low shots much quicker than with this particular rig. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, so so Easy Rig maybe a little bit more versatile in the quick change department, but the ergo rig certainly really great for, uh, that, that traditional over the shoulder or shoulder rig shot that everyone yeah. pretty much does all the time. Yeah. And a little bit more compact because the easy rig has this big thing that's over your yep. top of your head and you yep. have to worry about going through doorways and it's spinning around and all this stuff. So yep. a little bit, a little bit simpler. Once you have this other ergo rig on, you don't really have to worry about it. You just have this almost like a, like a backpack on, you don't have to kind of make allowances for it great great so, great yeah. great excellent all right again ergo rig uh jesse feldman uh let him know that uh keith moreau of tech move sent you to them uh when you're checking out these rigs uh thank you very much keith for that mm -hmm. uh we will uh take a quick break and come back with another interview uh, off the floor of NEB 2019 on our continuing coverage of that. It is Tech Move. NEB 2019 being featured here on this episode of Tech Move. Rod Louis Keith Moreau here, and Keith has another uh, get, as we like to say in the business, from Atomus, uh, our fine friends from there. And uh, we actually got to interview somebody that we've never interviewed before from Adamus. And uh, he goes by a single name. Uh, his name is Shacky. And Keith was able to kind of uh, uh, get him uh, to talk about, uh, uh, about a couple of things. I think specifically Shogun 7 and the Shinobi monitors. Uh, Keith, uh -huh. uh, any uh, were these things that you were hoping to kind of get a a feel for when you first approach the Atomus booth? Yeah, they're they're new. They're always coming out with new stuff, which that's what I love about Atomus. They're always improving. Um, they deliver most of the time, and they're starting to produce stuff that's um, even more attuned to portability, etc. So um, the they've uh, come out with a new version of the um, kind of like the Inferno, the seven-inch Inferno, which I actually have. So they've made mine obsolete. Thank you. And, <laughs> and after and, only a few short months, isn't that correct? Uh, <laughs> it's been a, it's been out a while. It's, but, it's probably yeah. been about a good couple of years, right? It's, At least. Yeah, I think it's been a couple of years since they actually came out yes. with it. And I got mine, I think, after, a year after it was out. Okay, right. So, um, yeah, and then, they, and then they have uh, Shinobi, which is, I feel like it's a direct competitor to the small HD stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's a pretty high brightness, lightweight, not too much high power consumption um, five inch monitors, 
and uh, seem pretty versatile, and they seem like they're a little bit better deal than than some of the others. Ah, so something I should look at then, huh? It's right up your alley. They're not super cheap. They're probably not as cheap as some of the the knockoff type monitors, but they have good uh, feature sets. The software is pretty good on them. Pretty easy to use. They they have a lot of features. Um, so yeah, so decided to go. wanted wanted to have, of course, an interview with with Jeremy Young. Yep, the uh, owner or or founder of the company. Founder, the yep. CEO now. Yep. He, uh, they went public a little while back, so okay. he's the CEO and. I don't know if he how much he owns of the company, but um, yep. that booth was cray cray. <laughs> I'm I'm sure I'm sure it, it was. It, it, yeah, that you know, Atomus is one of those companies for these types of shows that always has great turnout, always has a lot of great anticipation uh, built in. So we're we're fortunate to uh, to get a tech move in there, and, uh, and so I thank you for for forcing your way through the line and. You know, whatever, however you did it, whether you cut people out or what have you, I'm I'm happy yes. you did it. So yes, thank yes, you. there was a lot of the SWAT team things that you <laughs> referenced earlier. <laughs> Didn't luckily did not get run over by the uh, skateboarders. Oh, that's right, skateboarders. That 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 that, that, that <laughs> uh, 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 so that you could kind of uh, where are are they there so that you could film them and like try out their gear? Is that what they're kind of doing? Is is that what no. they're there or they're just there for? Just entertainment. I think for spectacle. Yeah, interesting. That's pretty much it. Oh, all right. Well, good. Yeah. Next time I go, I will bring my top hat and cane and do a <laughs> s- soft shoe for them. All right. Uh, let's let's get to it. Adamus with Shacky and our very own Keith Moreau on the floor of NAB 2019. Here is Adamus and Tech Move. Keith Moreau here with Tech Move Podcast. We've got Shaki of Atomus, and he's going to tell us about their new products. Hey guys, my name is Shaki. Oh, I can all look. Okay, you got the mic. Um, so, th- what's hot in our store at the moment is the Shogun 7, as you can see over here. So, the Shogun 7 is, is the newest version to the Shogun Inferno. The Shogun Inferno is one of our most loved products. Because of all the connections it's got, the 4K 60p you can do, you can do ProRes RAW. And the Shogun 7's got the same exact thing, but they've revamped up the whole design. And it's not just a monitor or a recorder, it's a switcher too, right? And what's the best thing about it is that in the previous one, you could send in quad signals in, but this one you can send quad signals in from four separate cameras. And with four separate cameras coming in, you got a quadrant that'll show you the four different cameras, your camera A, B, and C. And it gets even better, so when you hit record, you can capture all the four videos at the same time, right? And if you've got an HDMI or an SDL loop out to a bigger screen, you can choose between the four cameras what you want to be toggled onto a bigger screen. So what happens is that when you choose that, at the same time, it's being looped out to a bigger screen on what's being toggled. And at the same time, they've got an XML file that's been generated on the back that's that's showing you all the transition points okay so once you're done recording you hit stop you end up with six files you got four ISO files that are individually recorded your fifth file is your program file and your sixth file is your XML file so when you take that XML file into Premiere sorry not Premiere on a final cut what's gonna happen is it's gonna create a sequence bring in all the videos from the four ISO files and put in tra- transitions on those switching that you did between all of them 
that's one of the features of the Shogun 7. The next feature of the Shogun 7 is the all new uh, display panel it's got. So the older uh, Atomos products, they've had backlit LED IPS panels. This one's got a, the 360 zone switching panel, right? With the 360 zone switching panel, what's going to happen is that it's actively analyzing video signals that's being sent in. And when it, when it, when it, when it realizes the brighter, brighter section, the lights, the zones are going to be brighter and on the darker sections, it's going to reduce more darkness. So what happens is that the previous products had a contrast ratio of 1000 is to 1. With the newer one, we've got a ratio of 1 million is to 1, provided the zones are turned on. That's, that's highlight feature 2. Highlight feature 3 is it's got Dolby Vision enabled in it. So when you connect your device onto a Dolby Vision enabled uh, TV, it's going to be able to re figure out what kind of a signal is coming in, does it fall to a BD2020, HLG, PQ, and it's going to be able to send that and live view that on your TV. Wow. Okay. So when you're talking about the multiple inputs, up to four inputs, um, SDI, HDMI, both. So we've only got, I can show it to you over here. Please. So we can see over here, we've got four SDI ins. You got a SDI out and a gen lock, right? You can only put in four SDI inputs, right? You've got two 3G connections and one 12G, out, 12G in. The output's gonna be a 12G out and an HDMI out. So it's limited to SDI connections for the inputs. And for HDMI, you've only got one HDMI input. But, but you can also, just like the old Shogun Inferno, sorry, I'm gonna take that out again. You got an XLR, XLR in, so you can connect analog audio onto that. That's awesome. Okay, so I've actually got this older Shogun Inferno, which I just bought, so I'm sure you're, you'll be able to give me a refund and, and I can get this one. But, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I got this a while ago and it's actually a really nice monitor. Like, like, I still would happily tell people, like, go with the Shogun Inferno. It's, a great, it's, a, it's, it's great. It does the same exact thing. It's got a different panel. But if you're into switching, please go with the Shogun 7. And obviously, it's, it's future-proof, you know? It's not just a monitor recorder and it's a switcher. So you've got an event coming up. You've got your one-stop solution, all three in one. Whereas with this, you're an on-the-go fly recorder. Go for it. Are they dimensionally the same and weight-wise and construction? So in terms of the size, they're exactly the same thing. But what they've done is that they've revamped the design. As you can see, this is a bit more cool tech, like, yep, for the boys kind of vibe. You know, you see what I mean? It's got those extra bumpers, whereas this is more clean and sleek. It's following the new ninja style right so much more sleek design um and just super simple to use and oh and i forgot the most important thing over here the operating system so this one's got the old operating system which was great right lots of menus lots of options a bit colorful but this one over here it's super sleek it's got the adam os 10 which the ninja even supports everything is intuitive right all your graphs have been updated you can maximize, minimize them. You've got your focus speaking, which you can tweak up. And they're all just been improved drastically. And it, and everything is just like all under one display instead of having things spread around. But um, yeah, the Atom OS 10 is pretty damn cool. And I have the Shogun over here, and that's, that's upgradable to the 10, right? That's the Sumo 19. Yes, so the Sumo 19 at the, uh, at the moment, 
We've got a firmware update that's actually functioning at the moment where you can do this switching. And that is going to be released, I'd say, in about... I can't give you a time frame, but after the NAB show is done, that's what we've been promised by the engineers. Um, that's going to get the same operating system as well. That's awesome. Okay, so we've, we've covered the Infernos, I mean the Shoguns. So now we're going to cover, what, maybe the Shinobi, the monitors? Yeah, yeah. So the Shinobi was released this year. So the Shinobi HDMI came out first. Then we released the um, Shinobi SDI, right? So the Shinobi HDMI goes for 399 The SDI version goes for 499 There's exactly the same thing. The one with the SDI, you've got the option of using an SDI. But hey, for the ones who've already got the HDMI connection, don't worry about it. You can get the Atomex SDI adapter and you can still use the HDMI one without having to worry about getting the SDI. Does the SDI model also have HDMI inputs? Absolutely. So over here I can show it to you. There we go. So that's the HDMI input over there. This is the SDI in and it's also got an HDMI in over here as well. So yes, so the, the SDI one's just got extra connections onto it. That's really cool. Okay, so we got that. I, I actually like this. I actually got one of these um, and I loved it. I actually got a Canon EOS R, and they kind of match up pretty well. Um, I really love the uh, the small form factor. is quite light. Yeah, actually, no. I didn't get this. I got this one. Actually, it's a good segue. We're going to talk about this one, which is similar to this in size. Yep, yep. So the Ninja and Shinobi, pretty much the same size, same design. But the Ninja, as you can see in red, right, it, it records. The Shinobi can only monitor. It's got the same exact features, all your tools, all your variations, all your LUTs, your vector scopes, your graphs. It's the same thing. It's just that it's missing a record button. But it comes with the, with, with the perks, right? It's got a longer lasting battery. So if you connect like a Sony LP 9500, try getting one a 9500, this is an inside tip. Get a 9500 milliampere battery and it'll last you all day. I have I did a shoot about two weeks ago and I used it on one of the mirrorless cameras and I had it running all day. I didn't even have to switch swap a battery. So the fact that it doesn't have the built-in recording system makes it a little bit longer lived for the battery. Yeah, so it, it it's longer lived, so it's less components on the inside, so it's super light, right? It's perfect for people who are using gimbals or people who are steady cam operators. So it's it's a really cool device that I personally really like. Just because of the lightweightness and the ba battery life, highly rated. Wow, okay. So now that we've talked about all the Atomus stuff, let's talk about you. Okay, what about me? So you, you told me you were a DP or cinematographer. Yes. You, you've been in the industry a while. You've been with Atomus for a little bit. Yeah. So tell me about, you, and you're, you live in Australia. Yes, that's what I'm Oh, we're going back now. So I started off as a photographer, so I'm Sri Lankan, but I was born and raised in the Middle East in Kuwait. So I did photography professionally for about seven years. And then there were just too many photographers out there. I had to put this frame into motion. And that's when I was like, oh, you know what? I'm going to get into filmmaking. And at the time I was working for an advertising agency as an assistant photographer. I was very interested in seeing the film life. Like you had lights, you had audio guys, and I'm like jibs and... I'm like, look, man, like cameras are fun, but I want to do more of that. Like, I want to use a dolly, you know, this is more fun. Got into that and I was, I was just a runner 
on sets, on big commercial sets. And then somehow I was like, you know what, I want to get into filmmaking. And I made, decided to make the move, big move. Four years ago, moved down to Melbourne and I went to film school. Um, going to film school, I met my best mate, Aaron, and we somehow made it to Adamos in Jan. So it's been only a month for me in Adamos. And um, yeah, so I, I've been making short films, a couple of music videos here and there, but I wouldn't call myself as a music video guy. I'm more into narrative stuff. Um, but at the moment, more than actually filming, I'm exploring old lenses and old formats of filming. Because digital is awesome, like this is, this is great. But at the end of the day, you know, my idea is new brains, old eyes. Right. So you use a new sensor, you use the top of the line sensor, you use the top of the line monitor. But you got to get the old glasses if you want to get that character. Right. You know, there's, so, there's something to it that appeals to me. I feel like half my story is told when I use the right glasses. So I'm into collecting vintage lenses. I love the Soviet lenses just because I just feel like they've got solid character and the build quality on them. And um, yeah. And at the moment, I'm just trying to do a bit of everything. But at the same time, I'm also trying to like restrict myself into doing something that makes me feel like, okay, this is me. And that stuff like that, it would be, I've been enjoying watching um, clips that are made by Adidas and Reebok for brands. And they're like short 15 second reels. There's no narrative, none of that. It's music and it's cuts. And they've got such a vibe to it. That was, you know, it comes with the music, the lighting that they use. And you watch a clip and you go like, that just took me through a journey. You know, and I've been wanting to make films or clips that's that just makes you go through a a rush, and and I, and I guess the audience for that is also much more newer audience. Like I wouldn't be able to show this to my dad and be like, "Hey, dad, like look at this clip." People like, "What is this?" I want to oh, tell me a story, make me move. Um, so yeah, I've been because I love films. Like films are like my favorite films are like by Tarkovsky. Uh, stalker and that's like a three-hour mind-bending psychological film right like I love films but at the same time now it's like okay let's do something a bit different let's do let's do something short something quick you know it's 2019 people people don't have you know um, attention span and I was like okay let's keep it short and so I'm trying to do something within that span something cool something cinematic yeah so I'm still trying to explore that that's really cool. So speaking of vintage lenses, I actually started getting into that recently because previously I'd been into like as clean as possible. And the thing, the problem is, is that the cameras are so clean now that you kind of have to dirty them up a little bit. Yeah. So like, yeah. So, so just getting back to the vintage thing, I actually recently got a whole set of contacts, you know, Leica contacts lenses. And I got the original ones. I just got them on eBay. I got them from J Japan and a bunch of used ones. And then I started adapting them. So I got these uh, adap adapters that convert them to EF yeah. in the back, and I just started, I actually ordered some from Italy, and just started screwing them on and trying them it's out. It's so much fun, it's so much fun. Like I remember um, uh, doing the aperture system on my, on my first vintage lens, which was the Helios, the king of bokeh, right? I bought that lens for about 50 bucks from this person who had no idea what the hell is this, right? Beautiful lens, um, F2, and um, the problem with that lens was because of the old mechanics, I wasn't able to, I could mount it onto my, my Sony cameras, but when I changed the aperture ring, the aperture ring wouldn't change live. 
because it had a mechanical button that needed to be pushed in. So that was the first time I had to undo the whole thing, do the mechanics, jam a bit of blue tack in there just so that this piece wouldn't come out and get in there. And it was such a satisfying experience. That's you getting into exploring your own lenses. But like going back to what you said, like how lenses these days are super clean and people are buying grain packs from the internet, light lead packs on the internet trying to get that dirty look to it. Just go back to vintage lenses and they're super cheap. And they work with your micro four thirds, your full frames. You might not get like 4K, 5K grade picture quality, but you still have that, that character, that cinema, you know? And just do it. It's, that's, my, 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 that's, uh, that's what I can afford. So that's what I'm going for. You know, you can get like lenses that are worth like five grand, six grand. It's, it's a different ball game. I'm going to go with what I can afford and at, the, at this point in time I'm going to go with vintage lenses because they come with the same specs F2 or you know you get your Voigtlanders I'm not sponsoring them but you know yeah I get some old Canon uh, what are they the, the, the cores you know the the Fuji lenses the Pentax lenses uh, M42 mount like uh, what were the Vivitars and the Jupiters yeah. Yeah, there's some good good lenses out there. So thanks so much, Shaki. You've been awesome. Um, I, lo I love this part of the interview. I also love you talking about these new products here, which are really awesome. Um, Atomus is... I really love Atomus because they make these shows kind of exciting because you're coming out with stuff all the time. Yeah. And uh, you know, there's not too many big announcements in the cinematography aspects of, of the show this year. And this is one of the highlights. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, what I have to say is that um, there's a few packages that have been given out at the NAB show, right? That, that's for the raffle, and those kits are like are like my our best recommended kits just because of the raw capabilities and just the the the, the, the handshake between the cameras because the, between the cameras and our recorders just works so effortlessly. Because what what's going on right now is that our products are able to do. 4K 60p, HD 240. But our, our products can do that, but some of the cameras can't do that, right? So my best recommendation is that before you buy a product, this is just, this is just to avoid people from confusion. Every time when you buy a product, go on to adamos.com, right? Go into the support section, look into the supported camera section and see the compatibility. See what your camera is capable of outputting. Because our camera can do 240, 180p, but you won't be, your camera wouldn't be able to send that through an HDMI cable. So always check before you buy an Atomos product. That's all I have to say. Thanks so much. Keith Moreau, Tech Move, NAB 2019. It is Tech Move in our continuing coverage of NAB 2019. Rod Louie and Keith Moreau and Atomos. And specifically, thank you very much to Shaki, who was able to join us and uh, talk about the Shogun 7 and some of the new Shinobi monitors that Atomus has. And uh, you know what, uh, Keith, uh, you, you know, what did you think of the Shogun? What, what, what was your impression of that? Oh, I think the Shogun's uh, pretty cool. You know, if I didn't have one already, I would get this new one. It's kind of a replacement for it, I feel like. Um, yeah. Might be a little, a little bit brighter, more contrast ratios, better, just a better screen overall, and probably a little bit more compact and maybe a little better built. 
than the one I have, but for me, I'm not going to get the new one because I already have something pretty similar to it. Um, but I think for new customers, yeah, it's a good, it's a really good deal. I mean, they're just, they're just walking away with that market. I feel like there's no other competitors yeah. in that market. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. I, well, y- y- you know what? I mean, I was more particularly drawn to the Shinobi monitors, uh, you oh, know, yeah. because, you know, for a long time I'd been very interested in small HD and, uh, you know, any one of these five inch monitors. And of course there were plenty of knockoffs out there that you could get for, you know, pennies on the dollar, but, uh, you know, the small HDs, you know, they, they have the, you know, these great touch screens, you have a lot of control over it. And you know what, this Atomos, uh, Shinobi, I think, uh, is in that same kind of arena as well. And it looks great. Yeah. I think it's kind of a home run for them. I think there's definitely going to be a lot of people that are going to get this over other monitors. There's the space is starting to get filled with some of the, the knockoff type brands. Oh yeah. Of um, which I have investigated, believe you me. I mean, if you yeah. just, if you just want to monitor, sure, there's plenty, but if you want some control, uh, these things are pretty nice. Yeah. And really for improving your cinematography or just in general, it's having a, a monitor is such a big, such a big plus. It it just gives you so much more feedback about how your image is going to look. And then these types of monitors also give you all these extra tools like focusing and exposure and, and LUTs and things like that. So it really can accelerate your cinematography to the next level as opposed to just a camera. And uh, over HDMI, you can even record 10-bit with a lot of cameras. I mean, well, no, actually, <laughs> scratch that. Edit. Edit. <laughs> <laughs> this, particular one, this particular one doesn't record, um, but... Uh, but it can display up to 10 bit and this one actually has a full HD display. Yeah. So like the direct competitor, the focus, the, the small HD focus, which I have a couple of them, they have a 720p display and they don't necessarily have the level of uh, brightness. So this one overall is just a better monitor for, for less. Um, I noticed that the, the, the original focus is going for a little bit cheaper now. They'd reduce the price by a hundred bucks. Okay. So they're probably feeling that. Feeling the pressure. Yeah. But yeah. it's great. It's really light. Um, I love the fact that it has a full HDMI input on it. Rather than um, a mini the, HDMI. Yeah. The the one yeah. thing that uh, annoys me about... I love the small HD products and stuff, but I feel like they, they blew it when they put the HDMI input on it. Because you have to for you have to buy their cables that are a certain size. Yep. The mini... The mini HDMI or whatever micro HDMI. Yep, and they're really small, and they uh, only fit inside this little slot. And I know why they did it. They did it for strain relief, so you wouldn't break the port. Right. But the problem is, is that these little cables that come with the monitor are are really easy to lose, mm-hmm. and you can't just use any cable. You you actually have to use their cable. Right. So um, you really need to have a couple in stock in case you lose one, break one, whatever it is. Other, yes. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to just run to Radio Shack. And I know I'm dating myself, but you're <laughs> but you can't run a Radio Shack and pick one up. Yeah. So some people have even taken to actually cutting out the kind of enclosure part that makes makes only one size cable fit. Oh wow. Um. I I'm actually I've actually considered that every time I l- lose or look for this cable this rare small <laughs> HD cable. I think of the hacksawing it off. <laughs> but anyway, so that's that's a plus. I mean, just for that, I'd probably recommend people get the the Shinobi. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I I, I mean that I think that's 
pretty uh, that, that that's a pretty good uh, 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 endorsement for ju- just that alone, which is great. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm looking at it as three ninety nine, and mm-hmm. you know, and it's uh, you know, it's still pretty new. So there's mm-hmm. uh, you know, not a whole lot of sales out there. So I'm seeing it even for more than the three ninety nine that they advertise on their website. So uh, you know, I would say pick one up now, ladies and gentlemen, because <laughs> uh, you know they're they're not really on sale uh, at all. So they look really good, and I'll have to consider one for myself. So. You should. Anyway, uh, thank you very much uh, mm-hmm. again to Shacky at Adamus and Keith Moreau uh, at uh, TechMove. And we will uh, take a break. We will reset and come back with another exciting interview from the floor of NAB 2019 right here on TechMove. Okay, welcome to Tech Move and our coverage of NEB 2019. Rod Louie and Keith Moreau are man on the floor. And Keith is going to be um, sharing with us a fantastic interview that he had with the folks over at Black Magic Design. Uh, and we're going to be introducing uh, a gentleman by the name of Jason Druss who was kind enough to speak with Keith uh, about a few of the new black magic design items. Keith, you want to set anything up for us or you want to let it roll? Mm, Just a a moment. Uh, Same thing. Went to the back, talked to their press uh, person. Very nice person. They they set us up within half an hour, which is great because the the back, the, the way the black magic design area works is the front is this huge kind of in a way kind of carpeted plaza with little stands of 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 all the different products they sell you know all the different cameras and they sell a lot of electronics too converters and things like that um and they're all in these kind of separate tables people walking around um and then they have this fairly large screen and a kind of like a little theater area where they're being uh shown off the different software products that they have mostly resolve um maybe would probably seat about 50 to 100 people and that's all kind of together and then if you go around the back it's almost like the you know the concrete and <laughs> you know the, the it's the back it's what nab it's what the hall the convention hall would look if it didn't have the booths in it really um although they have a nice uh, kind of press area with several couches and and then an area with all the products displayed on a nice clean white counter that's pretty well lit um, a little bit too top lit, I think, for the interviews, but it's all right. Um, so we set up, test out our stuff, kind of in the in the concretey area that's outside that that little press area. Have a couple espressos because they have an espresso guy. There. Oh, nice, <laughs> yeah. nice, yeah. And then set up our interview. And the guy we found was pretty good. The guy they assigned us was pretty good. He wasn't the usual head of. Uh, sales marketing guy mm-hmm. uh, he was another person who was pretty fresh and i liked his his approach and we talked about all the newish black magic design products and things that we were interested in cool yeah e- excellent excellent mm-hmm. okay well let's uh let, let's get to the interview uh again ladies and gentlemen uh we have black magic design and jason Druss along with our very own Keith Moreau on our coverage of NEB 2019 right here on TechMove. Keith Moreau here for TechMove at the 20, 
19NAB, and we've got Jason of Blackmagic Design here, and he's going to go over some of the new cinema products. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for very much for having me, Keith. Um, we're going to talk about the Ursa Mini Pro G2 today, as well as some other uh, interesting products that we have here at Blackmagic Design. Now, um, the G2 camera is a pretty significant upgrade to the original Ursa Mini Pro. Um, what we were able to do with the Ursa Mini G2 is we were able to essentially um, greatly reduce the time in half of the sensor readout. Uh, and what that does is it gives us a lot less rolling shutter, it gives us much better color fidelity, and it get, gets us a much cleaner, sharper image. And because we were able to do that, we were able to get up to 300 frames per second out of the Ursa Mini Pro G2. If you're shooting in the brand new Blackmagic RAW codec, which gives you a 12-bit RAW for the uh, file sizes and workflow requirements of traditional 10-bit video files, uh, when you're shooting Blackmagic RAW 8 to 1, you can shoot up to 120 frames per second in a full 4.6K, and you can shoot up to 300 frames per second in a uh, windowed HD mode. Um, additionally, like the Pocket Cinema camera, the Ursa Mini Pro G2 brings us recording to flash media out of the USB-C dri USB drive. So if you don't want to record, record to SD cards or CFast 2.0 cards, you're able to record cleanly uh, out of the USB. Oh, I was actually looking for that on the floor model out there. So if we look closely, there's actually a port in there. Right in here, there's a little USB-C port. Yeah. Additionally, also, you can record to flash media right out of the USB-C port. Um, the other big advancement to the Ursa Mini Pro G2 uh, also runs to the original Ursa Mini Pro and the Pocket Cinema Camera 4K in terms of Blackmagic RAW 1.3. Um, Blackmagic RAW 1.3 gives us a lot of updates, but the most exciting one is the ability to essentially have a soft LUT included in the sidecar file. So if you're shooting with a custom LUT or if you're shooting with one of the LUTs that comes with the camera, um, when you export that file and you put it into DaVinci Resolve, what you're going to see is that that lookup table actually follows through with the clip throughout the whole entire journey. So um, it's like having your look baked in, even if it's a custom look, but having it be non-destructive at all times. And the coolest part about that is, is that if in post-production, if the colorist or the editor or the producer decides that they want a new lookup table attached to that clip, they can update the sidecar file of the Blackmagic RAW clip to have a new LUT attached to it. Of course, non-destructively, you can always just turn it on or off. Um, but that new sidecar file with the new LUT will follow the clip throughout wherever it goes from here on out. So we have massive workflow improvements and massive hardware improvements for the Ursa Mini Pro G2. And it's actually shipping now and it's available for $69.95. That's awesome. I'm actually particularly impressed with the shipping now portion of this interview. Yeah. Yeah, we started shipping them uh, a couple weeks ago, and they're coming in. Uh, they're coming in from Australia. We're all really excited to get them out and see what uh, users are going to do with them. So specifically, um, we have a new sensor, I assume? Yes. And what are the characteristics of that sensor compared to some of the, the past sensors? Well, one of the best things about this sensor, and it's also 15 stops of dynamic range, but essentially the, uh, the, the color fidelity of the sensor is much better than the sensor that we had before. It utilizes our brand new Color Science 4.0, which is the best color science we've ever had in our cameras. The Pocket 4K camera also utilizes this new Color Science. What we were able to do is get much cleaner shadows, crispier highlights. Uh, we were able to uh, improve a lot of the highlight roll-off and the shadow retention um, without adding too much noise into um, the shadows. What it also allows us to do with the Color Science 4.0 is add higher ISO recording capabilities to the Ursa Mini Pro G2. 
Oh, that's awesome. Well, I can't wait to try it out. Um, looks like a, a great upgrade. And uh, since it's shipping, maybe I'll put it on order. So, um, so anything else, any other highlights you want to talk about? Um, well, that's pretty much it what we're excited about. Like, like the Ursa Mini Pro, the Ursa Mini Pro G2 has the internal ND filters, Bluetooth connectivity, lots of controls on the side of the panel for when you're working handheld, you need to be able to control the camera. And of course, interchangeable lens mounts. It'll come with a Canon EF by default, but you can choose to swap that out with a PL or a, a B4 or even a, a Nikon F mount if you'd like. Oh, that's great. Well, awesome. Okay. Well, why don't we go on to the, the next product you want to talk about? Right now. Let's hop over to the pocket camera. Yeah. So this is the uh, Pocket Cinema Camera 4K. And one thing you're going to notice is that is it has a little bit of an addition today. Uh, we released this year at NAB. And I think this one's a little, uh, we're going to leave this one on. But we have the new uh, Pocket Camera 4K battery grip, which is going to go for $295. It's going to be available later this year. And what it does essentially is allows you to add two larger Sony batteries into the Blackmagic Pocket Cinema Camera 4K. Now, what we noticed that is that when users were actually using the USB port, see, the USB-C out to record on SSD flash media, and when they were attaching lights and monitors and all sorts of other devices, that it was um, sucking up the battery life even more in the Pocket Cinema Camera 4K. So we wanted to give users a, a nice, clean um, option for adding more power to the camera. So now it's going to be able to record for hours before having to change. And you just um, undo this little screw right here and it pops right out. Um, and we designed the original Pocket Cinema camera to have a, a battery door that you can kind of hold the pin, just take the battery door out, and then this will flow right into the camera very well. Um, about the Pocket Cinema Camera 4K in general, it's a really brilliant camera. Um, we're utilizing a micro four-thirds lens mount, similar to the original Pocket, but it's actually a full four-thirds inch sensor with 13 stops of dynamic range. One of the best parts about the Pocket Cinema Camera 4K is the large five inch touchscreen on the back of the camera. Um, it's really large uh, and when you're shooting handheld, it's perfect for handheld monitoring. Um, the best part about the Pocket Cinema Camera 4K, it actually features the same exact operating system as the Ursa Mini Pro models. So it features the full Blackmagic OS, which means I can go in, I can turn on focus peaking, frame guides, grids, uh, zebra, false color, all of that stuff. And if I go over to the menu here, you can see I can choose between ProRes and the new Blackmagic RAW codec where I can shoot constant bit rate or constant quality, 3, 5, 8, and 12 to 1. And of course, I can shoot in HD, Ultra HD, or even DCI 4K and get that full 4096 by 2160 4K image. Um, similar to the Ursa Mini Pro, all of the monitoring options, choosing who's going to see what where, whether you're looking at the LCD or looking out of the HDMI, all those options are there. We have setup presets just like the Ursa Mini Pros. And of course, you can add your own lookup tables or use the ones that we provide. And just like the Ursa Mini Pro with Blackmagic RAW 1.3, those lets are going to continue the journey with your clips right into post-production. Um, the body is made out of carbon fiber, carbon fiber polycarbonate. And we have all these custom function buttons, a shutter dial, which is really great because when you're shooting handheld like this, you're able to quickly adjust either the iris. You can adjust either the iris or I can switch between adjusting the ISO there or the color temperature, or the shutter speed. Of course, also, these are all controllable via the touchscreen. So I can go, oh, let me go to ISO real quick and turn that up. If I want to, I can change the white balance with your finger right there because it's a big touchscreen. Yeah. 
There's a high frame rate button just like the Ursa Mini Pro. Um, it's a really wonderful camera, four internal microphones for stereo recording, and it has a great air intake and air outtake. Because one thing we do with our camera technology, we pay a lot of attention to the sensor temperature to make sure that the sensor doesn't get too hot so that the camera can adequately record black levels without adding unnecessary noise. And the Pocket Cinema Camera 4K is available uh, now. It's shipping and has been shipping for a while, and it's only $12.95. And like the Ursa Mini Pro models, the Blackmagic Pocket Cinema Camera 4K comes with a version of DaVinci Resolve Studio in the box for free that's normally worth $300. And the battery grip is $245, and that'll be available uh, later this year. That's awesome. I actually own a couple of these. I love them. That's why I have two. I got to actually shoot with them for the first time about a month ago, and I was blown away. I put it on one of those little gimbals, the little handheld gimbals, and I just had a lot of fun. It's a really beautiful camera. Yeah, I've actually put this on a very small gimbal with a little bit of counterweighting, and I was actually pretty surprised I could actually get it to work well. Because when it's stripped down, it's pretty light. It is pretty light. It's only one point five nine pounds the body by itself without a lens or a battery or anything but if you know if you have the battery grip and you know lens and the batteries in there it's really no more than you know four or five pounds something like that it's still really light you can carry this around and shoot all day if anything it gives you a little bit more stability to it also yeah that's awesome so does this prototype have the ability to remove the batteries so we could see them the removable sony batteries um i'm not sure I'm not sure I assume that they're removable. You said Sony batteries or Canon batteries? It uses the Sony batteries, yeah, they absolutely are removable, but I'm not sure. I assume it's this thing and then it pulls out somehow. You guessed correctly. <laughs> you know, it's funny, I'm talking about it and I'm pitching and I'm like, how do we get the Sony batteries out of there? Because this is my first time actually like looking at it myself. So yeah, we pull this out right here. We can see that we have the two Sony batteries. Well, I get the idea. Yeah, I'm not going to try to take it. That's okay. But, you know, it's, it's right in there. It's like a little, little magazine, and we can just clip that in, twist it. It's actually a really nice locking mechanism. It's, it feels very sturdy for those watching at home. It's actually nice. You're not going to accidentally twist this off. It's a metal construction, so it's good. Yeah. Awesome. That's actually, so one of my issues was the power because of the internal battery, and so I have all kinds of bolt-on power solutions that I've kind of devised myself and, and others, but this is going to make it a lot more convenient. I think it is also. Um, I think it is also. I'm really excited to see how users are going to continue to rig this out with their existing rigs and if they're going to plan a rig around the battery grip. Um, it'll be cool to see what the users do with it. I think what's going to happen is they're probably going to have to get different cages to surround the whole battery grip, but that's not a big deal, really. People are buying new cages and making them all the time. But I think just the convenience of having this is, is going to make a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. I, I see people, the first thing I'm thinking of is maybe if I get one of those thin like M2 SSD flash drives, maybe you might get a, a th a, some kind of cage or some kind of attachment, or even if it's just Velcro, where you could like tape the little M2 on the back right here and then plug right into the USB to record that. That's something that I think might be cool. We'll see. We'll see what the users do. Yeah. Do you have time to talk about a little bit about the Resolve update? Yeah, for anything for you guys. Let's go ahead and talk about it. Let's walk right over to this computer right here. Why don't I, since, oh, we have a little space, more space now, we're good. So, we've got a lot of new tools in DaVinci Resolve 16, but the thing that I'm really excited to tell you about is the new cut page. So, 
um, we were looking at the edit page and realized that there's more than one culture of editing and that there was a big culture of editing that really wasn't being served by any nonlinear editor out there. Because if you're looking at the software right here, if I want to select a clip to edit, I have to click on the clip, go over here, select my endpoint, select my outpoint on the keyboard, and then I have to spend time getting to the right part of the timeline. I have to zoom out or zoom in, find out where I'm going to accomplish my cut. Right? And then I can go over here and either use a keyboard shortcut or drag and drop where I want to put my clip. So we wanted to go back to our experience in manufacturing, which we have a lot of. And what we realized in manufacturing, the rule of thumb is that any movement by any machine or human that isn't directly productive work is waste. And we realized that we were spending up to half of our time editing using the mouse to actually just go ahead and find the thing and set up the user interface to accomplish the actual single edit we want to do, and we have to do that almost every time we actually complete an edit. So in order to solve that, we wanted to get rid of everything that a manufacturing workflow would consider waste and add new tools in that bring back some stuff from the old days that were kind of left by the wayside. We call it the cut page. Most important thing to note is that we still do have this whole edit page right here. We didn't take away the edit page. We didn't move the edit page. We actually added about 100 tools to the edit page this year. But we also have this new way of editing that you can also use if you want to. So you can go right over here to the cut page. And the first thing you're going to notice is that we have this dual timeline. The dual timeline gives you your entire timeline zoomed out all the way on the top with a moving playhead. And then we have a zoomed in cropped view of the timeline with a fixed playhead, the content moving past that fixed playhead. Now the cool part about this is instead of having to click on a specific clip and thinking where's my b-roll, where's that one shot that I want, is it this clip, is it this clip, the, the folks that used to work back in the linear days of editing, they would put in a cassette, an hour-long cassette, and it would have hundreds of clips on it, and they could very quickly shuttle through all of those clips to find the right moment. So we introduced a new mode called source tape. And what Source Tape does is it gives you a view of every single clip in your bin as one long string out. You can see here I'm filtering through all of the clips in my bin as I'm filtering through here. So now I can really easily find the right clip, go in, set my out point. But now you'll notice I'm in this like really long string of my bins and I have this tiny little sliver in and out point. How am I going to like properly trim that or decide what I really want to put in and out of the timeline? We have these new tools right here we call the source trimmers. And when I use the source trimmers, you're going to notice we currently have this zoomed out view of my audio waveform. As soon as I click on it, it zooms in to the point where I'm actually trimming. And our new graphical trimmer says, OK, well, now I'm going to add 10 frames to my endpoint, And I'm going to push 10 frames to my out point, And then I'll be able to go ahead and take this clip and drag it in here, put it wherever I want or to use a keyboard shortcut as well. So, and then I can go ahead, jump back to the timeline and review the cut. So the cut page is all about speed. It's all about efficiency. It's not the page you're gonna use for every single job. If you're doing a, a long form television show or a whole feature film, or if you're doing something where you have, you know, tens of thousands of clips and smart bins and names and using facial recognition, which is new on the edit page and all that jazz, you're probably gonna use the edit page. But for TV commercial editors that don't have the time for all of that finesse, all of those fancy workflows, the cut page is designed to get you in and get you out and get your video out there, published, broadcasted, wherever you're gonna put it.
Um, and then again, uh, if you want to do a rough assembly on the cut page and you want to continue that work on the edit page to refine and keyframe and animate and do all that good stuff, you just hop over the edit page and here's our work, here's our timeline, just as we had it in the cut page. That's awesome. Yeah, that's some of the new stuff in DaVinci Resolve 16. We're really excited about it. That's great. I, I, love, I love that you are developing software that competes with all the other NLEs that have been out there forever and you're innovating and, and at the same time some of it's some, somewhat familiar to us editors from a long time ago so that's, that's kind of cool too. It's not totally different and totally weird so I really love that aspect. Thanks. Yeah, we really just wanted to make tools that our customers want to use. We've been doing this editing thing now for four years since version 12 back in 2015 and we've gotten so many feature requests from every single type of editor you could possibly imagine from all walks of life. And every year, the end result is the culmination of all of their feedback. We've really cherished that. Um, DaVinci Resolve has now been used to edit offline from start to finish um, some major independent Hollywood films, some network TV shows. So we're really excited to see um, every community from you know students all the way up to Hollywood editors really starting to um, trickle into the idea that you, you can edit offline and resolve. You can share every single job, you can share every single page, you can eliminate the conformer, you can just do it all in one application. So we're really excited at how customers are taking on to it. That's awesome. Well, I think we've taken enough of your time. So uh, thanks so much, Jason. You've been really wonderful showing us all the new products here and really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for your time, Keith. You're welcome. Keith Moreau signing off for Tech Moves, NAB 2019. Black Magic Design and Jason Dress, along with Keith Moreau, as we continue our coverage of NEB 2019. Keith, uh, thank you very much. Uh, really great interview. Uh, give us your impressions of what Black Magic Design had to offer. Well, they're upgraded their Ursa Mini Pro 4.6K. So the Original one was pretty good and a pretty good deal, and they just upped the specs a bit on it. So I think the thing that people might be excited about is a, a slightly better color science. So there's there's been a lot of discussion about the color science in the Ursa Minis over the years, and uh, I think they're just trying to approach more and more something like the Canon color science or something that's more optimal, RE or, or Canon color science. Um, so... It seems like people are happy about it, from what I've heard. Um, it's, it's. I think a few people actually have it by now, by the, by the time of this recording. So we're recording about a month and a half after NAB. But um, so the, I guess the, the big takeaways on the G2, the Ursa Mini, uh, Ursa Pro. I don't even know what it's called. Ursa <laughs> Pro 4.6 G2, or I think it should be Ursa Mini Pro 4.6 G2, uh, is higher frame rates. Um, much higher frame rates and hopefully the the higher high speed looks really good and high speed is actually kind of like the holy grail nowadays uh, higher speed so a lot of the 4k cameras just don't have good um high speed you know basically slow-mo yep they can they can go 60p really well but then when they start getting to 120p and above then they start they start not the video starts not looking very good starts to break down quite a bit doesn't it yeah it gets fuzzier yeah. and there's aliasing and other stuff so i think they nailed it with the G2. That's my impression. So that would be a good higher speed camera. And it's got a, up to 300 frames per second. Yep, at think, 1080p. Uh, yeah, so that's pretty darn pretty darn slow. Yep. So I, you know, people might get it just for that. Um, and then another thing that's really cool about it is that it actually has a USB 3 
a USB-C output for hard drives, kind of like the uh, Pocket 4K. Yep. So that's a great addition because you can so you can, now you can just put any applicable hard drive and just plug it in and and then and then you can set up recording expensive CFast cards. You can record this hard drive, which is a great feature. That's a really so, great feature because that, yeah. that that'll be a little even though it's probably a little bit bulkier. It's a much better option for like you said rather than a CFast card or something. Yeah. So I guess if I were in the like kind of studioish indie, um, you know, person, I would highly consider this one. It's I think it's only six K, from okay. what I can understand. Yeah. So I think you're right. Pretty, yeah. So that's pretty cheap. So they talked about that, and then they and then he talked about um, oh the the um, new version of Resolve, which has a few interesting features. They've they've created a new screen that's a little bit more like the fast cutting aspect of Final Cut Pro 10, which is cool. So previously is a little bit more like the traditional Final Cut 7 slash um, Premiere Pro kind of interface, user interface, yep. which everybody's familiar with and, and likes, but but it's not as fast as the, the Final Cut 10 interface, which is like you slap it together really quick and still can get good results. So they added, they actually added that. They didn't take anything away, they just added that, and that's really cool. And then it, I think it has support for other things. It's just better overall. I personally have not tried it. I'm still on Resolve 15. But um, I'm eager to try 16. And then um, another great thing, i kind of not sure how great it is, but I think everybody wanted it. They came out with it, and then people were a little disappointed. But they, they added a battery grip for the, for the Pocket 4K. Well, how was battery life before the battery grip? It's always been a complaint to people because it's after 30 minutes. It, it gets 30 minutes to an hour on one battery, which is actually not terrible it's not as bad as some of the, some cameras but um it's not great and and it's always been a bane of everybody's existence especially when you just have a it's a really nice cinema camera you want a, a more battery life out of it right so um yeah so they added this just a typical grip battery grip where you, you you pop it onto the bottom it 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 goes into the battery bay there's a thing that com- uh kind of probe that goes into the battery bay and powers it that way and then you put in a replacement batteries into it. The thing that's weird is that the replacement battery is not is not the same battery that goes into the the body. Really? So the bo- yeah. <laughs> and that's what people have complained about. The the body battery is um a certain style. It's the Canon style and the the grip battery is a Sony style. So, <laughs> so it's not even so it's you not a might, big Sony style. So you might have bought like three or four of the original Blackmagic design uh, appropriate uh, 4K uh, batteries, and then you can't use them because you got the battery grip of what you got to get these other ones for. Yeah, you just have to. Most people have these smaller Sony batteries around because everybody ships them with their stuff and you always don't even use the small batteries you use the larger ones so they they require these smaller versions of those batteries because it, it gets it, it goes in these sony batteries are available in many different sizes mm-hmm. they can get super super big and thick um but this particular battery grip i think accepts only the smallest ones and i think it only accepts one if i'm not mistaken so i don't think it accepts two but i'll have to look into that um uh, but anyway I'm not sure if I I'd be getting it or not. How Me much personally. how much time will that add? I mean, doesn't if if it's a smaller battery battery, it doesn't sound like it would really be all that useful. I guess according to the reports it maybe doubles the 
life of whatever. It's like an hour. It's better. Yeah, an hour to an hour and a half, I yeah. guess. Oh, well, So like, okay. it's better than that's nothing. Pro- that's probably pretty good. Yeah, it makes the um, it makes the camera a little bit heavier. Yep, and a bigger. More, a, little, a little bit better, bigger and heavier, which is not necessarily bad. Yep. Makes it a little bit taller, you know, and it's already kind of a wide camera, so now you have a, a big chunk. Yep. Uh, instead of just a wide chunk, now you have kind of a tall chunk, too. I saw but, a picture. I, 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 you know, I, I saw the the video and pictures of it and stuff. It looks like any other battery grip, you know, at the bottom of a of a you know SLR or something like that. Yeah, yeah, it's really typical. And I actually, you know, I use battery grips all the time on my GH series cameras and all my other, um, you know, so I mean, I have battery grips for all my different cameras, uh, SLR type cameras. Yeah. So I, I sometimes just pop them on because it's nice to have that extra not have to worry about um, battery life as much and they make it they add a little more mass to the camera make them a little more grippy yep so i don't think the pocket needs to be grippier but um anyway I, it's kind of expensive it's 245 dollars maybe doubles the life of the camera but will i get it not sure okay all right yeah well uh, I, you know what i you, 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 I'm sure you have tons of uh, uh, the actual in-camera batteries lying around. So it's just a matter of knowing your workflow and just trying to tra- uh, uh, change out. Yep. Yep. Okay, good. Well, uh, Keith, thanks a lot. Uh, again, Black Magic Design. Thank you to Jason Dress mm-hmm. who joined us. Uh, thank you very much. And uh, we will come back. Uh, with another interview from NEB 2019. Uh, So everyone just stay tuned. We'll be right back with more on Tech Move. All right, in our uh, continuing coverage of NEB 2019, we're at the end, Keith. And uh, so thank you very much for all those uh, uh, great interviews with our friends from Black Magic Design, Atomus, uh, Ergo Rig, and Zcam, uh, all great stuff and uh, and very interesting. Uh, let's wrap it up, uh, Keith. Final thoughts for uh, uh, for the show. What's your thoughts? Final thoughts. Um, always a always a fun time. Not too many, you know, huge announcements for our little neck of the woods of you know, cinema cameras and, you know, low-cost low cinema cameras, um, which are getting lower cost all the time. I think the C200 was just lowered $1,000. Oh. Good, th- good thing I have two of them. They've now been devalued by $2,000. <laughs> the EVA one was lowered by $1,500 or something recently. Congratulations. Yeah, they're all getting cheaper. Maybe because they're not selling that well. I don't know. I think they just need to release new, better ones. Um, but other than that, um, you know, it's always fun to go. A lot of it's just because Veronica and I can go to Las Vegas and have fun. But uh, yeah, <laughs> the show, exactly. The the show is always kind of a fun little thing, and get to get to meet different people or the same people, and kind of continue these relationships. So that part's good. Good, and yeah. and, and and you know what? There there always are some little surprises from all of these uh, companies that we interact with. So yeah, I, yeah. I I think you know even if there's not some earth-shattering new camera that comes out uh you know usually at least some new feature uh, w- uh will be featured and and talked about which is always good to 
to learn about. So yeah, I think of the of the things that we had the uh, featured on the show. I think the ZCam company is probably the t- could be a game changer. Yeah, I feel like they're making almost like red level cameras for you know one tenth the price, um, and they're not too expensive to accessorize. So I, I kind of think that's that's one of the game changers. You'll, we'll see in the next year. We'll, we'll have another show in another year, and we'll do like a ZCam special. Okay. We'll see. You know, cause yeah. they're they're like the they're like the first. I feel like the first mainstream Chinese company to get into to get into the cinema cameras. So excellent yeah, at this level. Yeah. Anyway, so that's my. I guess that's my takeaway. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I and, and I think it's a good takeaway. You know what we do have. To look forward to uh, probably in our next episode, Keith, is uh, your trip to Cinegear. Yes. Uh, we, we, we know that you've already gone and you've already uh, got a bunch of interviews already in the can right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the powers that be need to review it and uh, and approve it for broadcast. Yeah, uh, the Tech Move Board of Directors is th- quite slow. They're, well, they're, they're slow and they're, they've become quite picky. I've... Uh, <laughs> I, I've noticed they've uh, they're they're very choosy on what actually makes it uh, to the final cut. So uh, anyway, so ladies and gentlemen, stay tuned for our next episode, which will be uh, on the Cinegear 2019 show. Okay. Um, fantastic. Okay, that's yep. NAB. Uh, yep. Before we we close out the show, let's talk about some uh, a piece of new gear that you've actually had a chance to try. Can you give us a little intro on that, please? Oh, sure. Um, I think we maybe we talked about it at the beginning of the show. It's been so long, but yeah. um, we talked about the possibilities of external GPUs. Um, and I was thinking, oh and yeah, this was because we, yeah, because we talked about the breakout new boxes that are out there yeah. and stuff like that. Yep. Yeah, because we had a, a a long talk about the newly announced uh, Mac Pro, yep. for, that's going to hopefully come out this year, twenty nineteen. Um, At the cost of, of like fifty million dollars, pretty, uh, yeah, uh, which pretty is when all strapped up and ready to go. Yeah, and I was saying, well, it seems like because of Thunderbolt three, like it's a really fast interface compared to what was available back back in the the original Mac Pro. Um, maybe the fact that Thunderbolt can kind of tie into it eGPU or other breakout boxes has maybe made the need for a modular Mac Pro less important. So I decided to kind of put that to the test and I was telling you about eGPUs and there's a few of these that are out there now. And they're primarily used for um, you know getting your kind of low end lower end non maybe non desktop system like a MacBook Pro to uh, look uh, to use an external graphics card that's pretty high powered and get get the graphics and just all the stuff better for post processing such as editing or effects and yeah so I decided to put it to the test so a long time ago like a year and a half ago I got a Sonnet technology it's the Sonnet eGPU and uh, I think it's um, I guess let's just take a second and let me just look up exactly what I got okay. <laughs> so I could tell okay, so I could talk about it. Um, I'm, I actually got it on Amazon, and I got it um, refurbished, I think, or used. So I paid a little bit less than than the price. But let me just look that up quickly on my Amazon. Uh, yeah, it's called the Sonnet EGFX Breakaway Breakaway Box. The Sonnet EGFX. I can't even say it, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> put a link in the in the in the show notes. 
but uh, it's a Thunderbolt 3 to eGPU PCIe card expansion system. So it's a fairly large box. Um, most of it's just empty space, um, but there's there's space for a double double slot, double double space uh, PCR PCI card, and so you can put any any PCI card in there that the Mac will accept. So anything that I could put in my Mac Pro, I could put in this, and and that's all it has. So it's just got a big power supply. The one that I got is not the not the, the highest end one. It's only 350 watts, so there's a limit to what cards you can put in. You can't really put in the most powerful cards. So that's kind of a limitation. But I get, I didn't really know that as much when I got this. I just said, oh, it's kind of on kind of a good deal, and I think I'm going to get this. Um, it's been just collecting dust for like like a year and a half. <laughs> <laughs> but but I decided okay, so I'm just going to buy a compatible low powered card. So I went ahead and got a compatible card. It was a um, just gonna look that up. Um, it was a Radeon. And then just see which. Oh, it was a Radeon um, Sapphire um, Sapphire card. It's the uh, RX 580, eight gigabyte. Nice. Yeah, and uh, Radeon is is um, the AMD brand or the AMD design. Um, there's other brands other than AMD that produce them though. And usually they're a little bit cheaper, but they have the same exact specs usually, or sometimes even better than the original AMD cards. It's kind of weird because these companies are now licensing their designs to other companies to produce versions of their cards that are functionally the same. Anyway, I got this. It wasn't too expensive. The card was less than $200, mm -hmm. which is pretty cheap for a graphics card. Mm -hmm. Consequently, it's not a very good one, but it's the one that had the power rating for my, my device. Right. My, and so I put it in. And tested it out. I tested it out just by using DaVinci Resolve, which is a pretty good test for rendering. And because they do have DaVinci Resolve, is a lot of options for choosing what uh, GPUs you're going to use. It lists the internal one on my iMac Pro, which is the um, Radeon Vega 64, which is a pretty high end one right. already, right. 16 gigabytes. And then it also shows up this other card. And it's actually amazingly easy. You just put the card in. And you just plug Thunderbolt in, and that's it. And then it shows up. It's kind of a it's R kind of amazing. literally plug and play. Yeah, you don't need, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to tell the Mac it's there or anything. It just shows up. That's which great. Is pretty cool. That's yeah. really great. Yeah, I think that if that's only available for the last two Mac OSs. I don't think earlier ones will do that, but if you're on a modern Mac OS, it should work. So um, anyway, so I put that stuff in. I used um, I did some. I was doing some stuff with with resolve because I had some um, some raw files I needed resolve to deal with and I had done a project where I was converting the raw to some format that um, Adobe Premiere could use because I'm still unfortunately on Adobe Premiere most of the time and <laughs> so it Adobe Premiere doesn't actually take um, Blackmagic raw files so I have to actually process I don't think so you kind of have to convert them to something that it recognizes yeah. so I was converting them to ProRes uh, um, so I was doing the color correction and stuff to get the dynamic range back and get them to be pretty close to the right colors. And then I was converting them to ProRes. And so I did a short, you know, fairly short file. Um, so I did the test and I'll give you the numbers right now. So uh, it's a pretty, it was a pretty large, um, pretty long test. So with the iMac Pro built-in Vega 64, um, it was a total of 37 minutes and 30 seconds. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and, and was that surprising to you? 
Um, no, that was, that was, you know, I'd, I'd been experiencing that. It was about a half hour clip. So mm-hmm. it's just a little, a little bit longer than real time. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, it was, I was doing a lot of stuff to it. I was doing a uh, denoising and some of the things that's pretty processor intensive. Okay. So that was using that. Um, and I could see the, I could see that there's a little meter in the max activity meter that shows how much the GP, GPUs are being used. And so the, the Radeon, the external GPU Radeon was at zero. And then the built-in one was at full, like a hundred percent. So I could see it was actually using those, which is pretty cool. See that visually. Um, that's the activity monitor is a, is a pretty cool, um, utility on the Mac. That is neat. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, so, but here are the numbers that were a little bit surprising. So with both, cause you can actually use two, two GPUs at once. And actually if you had more of these, you could use multiple GPUs. So you could actually spread your workload across multiple GPUs, which theoretically should be faster, right? Yeah. That you so would think. Yeah. So. Um, with the with the original Vega sixty four is thirty seven minutes and thirty seconds. With both, it was forty six minutes and twelve seconds. <laughs> uh, give so me that the, again. How much okay. was that? It was actually longer using both. <laughs> <laughs> and then with only the Radeon, not using the built in IMAX GPU, it was actually one hour and eighteen seconds. So basically, adding my eGPU made everything slower. <laughs> Congratulations! By by a big percentage, like twenty five percent. So if you want an eGPU of using this Radeon uh, five eighty, you can expect a twenty five percent speed reduction. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> so I promptly packaged up the stuff I got, the Radeon, and I returned it. So congratulations. Yeah. Because I don't need another paperweight. You you don't, I mean, (laughs) usually in the tech move world, we usually do like getting things that are much slower and older (laughs) and, and uh, really debilitate our production levels. So that's, that's good. Yeah. Good. Pretty much. I I think, I I think at some point I will upgrade the power supply in this eGPU box because you can buy, as you know, you were a PC builder and stuff. Yep. You can buy these, power supplies and they're not they're not that expensive no they're so not I, yeah and, and 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 they're very powerful yeah so i could get a power supply that could take anything and i could put it into this box i could just take out the old wimpy power supply and put a new one and it's almost like a, like a 10 minute job so at some point i'll spend a hundred or what so dollars for this more powerful power supply put it in and then order a super high-end radian card yeah, you know, like an, another Vega, or they have even some others that might be faster. They're kind of expensive. They're like in the six to eight hundred dollar range. Yeah. So I'm at this point, I'm not, I'm not like lusting for that. So I'll, I'll wait a while, but at some point I will do that because it's it's about a thousand dollar investment for me to do this, and probably a lot of trouble. And then you know who knows maybe it'll still won't do anything. But <laughs> yeah, I think that's the only way I'm going to get get anything faster. Yeah, get the, a better performance. Uh, the very. Very interesting. So, so you're still without a great solution at this particular moment. I'm still just thinking that the only way for me to even make this eGPU work with my current system and make it better is to get a super high end Radeon card. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's my conclusion. Good. I don't know for sure. You know, I'll I'll have to at least upgrade the power supply and then buy buy one of these cards, and that's like a thousand dollars. Which yeah yeah. 
thousand dollars in a couple hours of time. Well, then you're getting closer to that um, uh, new Mac Pro uh, with with all the dough that you're investing in this thing. Yeah. So that's true. You're you're getting closer and closer to that Mac Pro. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway. Whatever. So I think I think the best way for me to increase my speed is to ditch Adobe Premiere, though. So yeah. Well, (laughs) I think that's the best way. (laughs) It's funny because hasn't the Tech Move podcast been based upon ditching Premiere Pro or Premiere just period? Pretty much for at least five years. There was a little honeymoon period. I was saying this is so much better than Final Cut Seven. That's right. But then that's but as soon as I think Bloom as soon is as off the to, rose. Bloom is off the rose there. Bloom is off the rose. As soon as they got into the subscription model. Yeah. Then it and, all changed. And we started having to pay sixty or more dollars a month for software that's less stable and slow. Yeah. That's when the, the bloom started yep. fading. Yep. Yeah. That's that's the jump the shark moment, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. It is. No, that's great. I don't know if it'll ever they'll ever pay for that move, but yes. Yeah. It'll be good. Well, and we are not. We're not. We are currently not being sponsored by by Adobe, but and probably Adobe. never will be with the way we talk about it so uh, so highly and respectedly. <laughs> Sorry, Adobe. So, anyway, good, good, good. Well, uh, okay. Hey, uh, Keith, uh, we're going to close out the show, but there is one more thing I'd like okay. to congratulate you on, and mm-hmm. uh, our very own Keith Moreau uh, was a special guest of Zacudo uh, and you know, our friends over at Zacudo and ladies and gentlemen you're very familiar with them uh, the makers of, of really uh, great equipment that we've often featured here on this very podcast uh, Zacudo USA invited our very own Keith Moreau to be a special guest slash panelist on a Facebook live episode that they do uh, it's called Zacuto Live, and it is available right now on the Zacuto USA Facebook page. So it's facebook.com slash Zacuto USA. Zacuto spelled with a Z-A-C-U-T-O USA. And uh, Keith was invited to be part of a fun little episode slash segment called Desert Island Camera Bag of which uh, Keith was supposed to um, give his thoughts on what he would take in his camera bag to a desert island. Uh, and let's just say this. That's where the hilarity ensues, okay? <laughs> uh, Keith, it was a great appearance. I appreciate you doing that and also spreading uh, the Tech Move Nation to the world. Uh, Thank you. Uh, I thought you did a great job uh, uh, through, Thanks, through, through through the uh, through the interview. It was a fun little piece. Yeah, the hardest part was having to get up kind of early and and uh, you know be able to be coherent, uh, fo- be, be, fo- coherent. be coherent, and yeah. focus on the screen. No, without my glasses. That is, uh, (laughs) and and you know what? You pulled it off beautifully. You pulled it off beautifully, and you did a great. I I don't want to give too much away. Maybe we'll we'll give it away on the next uh, episode uh, here. But, ladies and gentlemen, we do encourage you to check out Keith's live appearance again on Facebook.com slash ZacutoUSA. Now, at the time of this recording, Zacuto puts these live Facebook uh, episodes on their own page. 
But as of this recording, they have yet to do that. So I would say probably in the next few days, if not another week, you can also find it on the Zacuto.com page and uh, and look under there. Uh, I think it's called, uh, hang on, let me pull it up here. It's called their web series tab uh, mm-hmm. that has a bunch of things on there. So you'll, you'll probably be able to catch Keith directly on the Zacuto page. So, um, Keith, I think that's going to do it. It's been nothing but NAB. It's been a little bit of Mac. It's been a little bit of uh, uh, other things here and there. Mm-hmm. And uh, But what we do want to let you folks know about is our next episode is surely going to be about Cinegear, Cinegear 2019, because we have a bunch of those things ready to go for you. So, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, listen, uh, we're glad that you listened to NAB 2019, which is now in the can. Uh, But uh, we'll be out shortly with our Cinegear episode. So, Mm -hmm. uh, Keith, any parting words before we uh, log off here? No, well, actually, maybe yes. I think it was seven years ago this month mm-hmm. that we came out with our first episode or second episode. So uh, it's been a while since our, our last you know episode recording, so I think we may have bypassed our, our seven-year anniversary. Oh. But we've actually been doing this for seven years. What a momentous occasion. You know what's, <laughs> you know what's so great, Keith, is that we've been doing this for seven years yet have about 10 episodes. So that's, uh, that says a lot. Thank you very we're, much. Thank you. We're averaging, I guess we're averaging maybe six to 10 episodes a year. Right. So um, this year we might be down a little bit on our average. Right. <laughs> we've so far come up with maybe two episodes, but right. maybe we'll, we'll push, push out some more quicker. But anyway, I doubt it. But, for- that, but I doubt it. But yeah, it's it's good to mention that to 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 the listening audience. So that's that's fabulous. That's yeah. great. But I do think I do think just from an hours amount of content, hours of well, maybe not amount of content, but hours of content. Yeah, <laughs> I think we're we're one of the top podcasts out there. I, I, I and we appreciate everyone for listening, and we appreciate everyone for for hanging in there with us uh, in our uh, steady yet sporadic uh, output. <laughs> for uh uh for these shows so thank you thank you very much for for listening to us we we greatly appreciate it but uh that that is great okay uh well happy anniversary uh, uh yes, it, to you it, too. It, it's it's been a great uh seven year run we look forward to another uh seven years if not seven mm-hmm. weeks uh which will be good uh i'll be good to 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 accomplish that so uh, anyway, uh, ladies and gentlemen, you know how to reach us, techmovepodcast.com. You can also reach us via all the other places like iTunes, which we still would love some uh, uh, some reviews from you guys. Of course, only positive ones. Yes. Uh, give us uh, the 20 stars if that's available. Yes. Uh, ratings, which would be good. And also mm-hmm. contribute. Uh, how do they contribute, Keith? I can't remember. Uh, Patreon dot com slash tech move podcast excellent that that yeah. that's a way to help us out and keep yeah. the lights going here so uh yep. we greatly appreciate it so uh folks uh hey i have been rod louie and with me is keith moreau keith thanks so much for uh for being with us today yep. and uh ladies and gentlemen thank you very much for listening to tech move and we will catch you on the next episode thank you so much and we'll see you next time